Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. This is episode 104, Kelvin Welch. Yo, Kelvin, what were you telling me about the groove? You know, and so, yeah, you just get there and you lock a groove and lock a pocket and, 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 and you learn to suck that groove. Mm. You have to suck it, man, until it pulsates. The groove has to, it, it, it pulsates. It's not just do, do. It goes do, do, do. It pulsates it, you know, it just like breathes. Mm-hmm. And then you go like, yeah, this is it. And people like have to, they have to move. Mm. They have to dance. They yeah. have to move because they can feel that. They can yeah. feel it pulsating to the beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My guest today is Kelvin Welch. Kelvin is a drummer, percussionist, songwriter and performer. He started playing professionally as a 14-year-old in his home state of Michigan, USA, touring with the who's who of jazz, funk and soul scene from the 1970s onwards. He moved to LA in the early 1980s where he continued his career as a soul funk session drummer, recording with some of the top producers of that era. Since moving to Australia in 1988, He's had the opportunity to collaborate with numerous local and international artists, including Swoop, Professor Groove, Kevin Borich, Michael Wheatley, Beck Jensen, Christine Anu, Carl Orr, just to name a few. He also writes and records and tours with his own band, Global Groovers Arabesque. Kelvin is a great advocate for original Australian music and stays active promoting showcase nights and music sales through his company, IHearMusic.com. Able to play almost any genre of music, it's this versatility that ensures Kelvin is in demand for live performances and recording sessions. In 2020, Kelvin became part of a new children's TV and live performance group, The Nanas and the Poppers, which airs on ABC for Kids. So ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for the man, Mr. Kelvin Welch. Good to go. I think we're all ro- good. I'm ready. <laughs> I think we're rolling. I'm ready for you, Steve. <laughs> Yo, Kelvin Welsh, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thank you, my brother, and I'm glad to be here, hollering at you, talking, <laughs> and hanging out. Yes, that's what we're doing. Yes. So, uh, um, tell us where we are. We're, we're in your um, studio shared office with your wife and yeah, yeah. And my wife, we share. She, she's a graphic artist, and I'm in. I'm in uh, because I'm a musician, so she gets, uh, you know, one-eighth, and I get <laughs> – and I get the rest. So, but as a graphic artist, she's – yeah, you're getting paid one-eighth, and she's getting paid oh, yeah, seven-eighths. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she does. She's been, she's been a graphic artist yeah, for about yeah. 40 years, man. Yeah, cool. You know, so she runs her office over there, and awesome. she lets me have the rest of the <laughs> – rest of the office for my drums. <laughs> yeah, full drum kit set up here. What have we got? Nice old – nice Mapex – one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine piece with electronics and cymbals and some, yeah, some cool shit. Yeah, just yeah. 
This is my, this, this is my practice kit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah, we're, 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 well, I, I wouldn't want to lug it up all these stairs every <laughs> every gig, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, what I've been sort of talking about to start with, you know, because we're in this pandemic at the moment, and, and I'll just I'll point out too. Today is the uh, what is it, eighteenth of December, and we've just had that Northern Beaches cluster start to kick off today, so I think we're all getting a little bit nervous again. Just um, when open it up. Yeah, that's it. Well, let's just, can we talk about what you sort of had lined up, what got blown out, and what's sort of starting to come back for you um, once the, you know, when the when the COVID thing first hit, what, was, first go, what hit, was going down? Well, man, I was doing, you know, I got a, I got a band called Arabesque. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, actually, when it, the first thing was the fires, yeah, yeah. So we had the fires yeah. before COVID. Yep. And uh, I had like a whole like southern south coast run. The fire stopped it. And with uh, with Arabis also, I come back. And so <clears throat> south coast got burnt out. So I went north and I booked a whole north run, you know, you know, Byron Bay, Belgian, you mm. know, uh, I don't know, the whole little Bear Brisbane, you know, all the way there and back. And soon COVID hit, wham, that stopped that. So I had a few there that stopped. Of course, uh, we all do gigs around the city, you know, Lazy Bones or mm. somewhere. All that stopped. Dulwich, which she was pretty cool over at Butcher's Brew. Mm. She's one of the first to soon to hit because, you know, she just opened up. She thought, oh, no, man, let me, uh, Caroline uh, Buckingham, she said, she, she immediately started uh, doing uh, uh, streaming. She's one of the first, actually, I think, to start doing streaming. Right. But her things ended, uh, how can I say, man, Everything, everything around town just like shut down. Musicians couldn't do nothing. Mm. And the hard thing was that we go, now what do we do? Mm. We wait and see if we get money from the arts. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. Uh, f- the ones that actually took care of business and run themselves as a business, of course, the government had to come through because we're sole traders. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us aren't sole traders and some don't even do their taxes, right? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So you don't get no money either. Mm. So it kind of hit musicians hard. But, yeah, I lost a, I lost a few tours with Arabes, like quite a few gigs. And then, of course, quite a, since I'm a you know, session drummer, mm. I lost quite a few just gigs around town, man. Mm. Just, at the, just at, you know, our gigs, mm. you know. There's your Lazy Bones or, or, or Butcher's Brew or or uh, who else? Or there was uh, gigs at uh, the Cauliflower. Mm. There was gigs at... Uh, Camelot, there were gigs at uh, uh, even like Gasoline Pony. There was gigs at uh, uh you know, someone, someone's like over the uh, North Shore, like over the, uh, uh, no, not North Shore, I should say just over the bridge, a uh, street food market. Mm. All these gigs just closed up on everybody. There mm. was there was a little gigging scene, mm. nothing, yeah, nothing all of a sudden, all of a sudden, dead. Mm. So cover did hit everybody pretty hard. Musicians just went like, oh, no, what do we do? Yeah. And I don't teach. Some that teach thought, what do we do? These, they kind of found a way because yeah. they had them teaching online. Yeah. But I don't teach. So I go like, okay, so what do I do? I don't teach. The gigs are gone. I tell you what I do. I'll just take a break from music <laughs> and work on my house. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I did. Yeah. Took yep. a break, started working at my house and doing things and, yep. you know, you know, just, you know, building around my house, fixing stuff. I used to be a painter and mm. sheetrocker and I used to, you know, do a lot of stuff when I was uh, 
the younger you know, coming up. So I know to work on things and fix things. Mm. And so I started doing stuff like that around my house, man, and mm. building garden beds and, you know, making, you know, just doing stuff. Yeah. Keep myself active. And then, and of course, uh, the room we're in right now, I would come up every night, hit my drum kit. Yeah. Had a place to practice. I come and practice, work on some tracks, work on some stuff. Mm. Get up in the morning, work on my house. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take a break. I didn't even let it like I didn't I didn't I didn't mind trip about it or, or get down about it or yeah. I'm not that kind of a person. I think mm-hmm. okay. I, I think you always, I'm always gonna look up okay, and, and look cool. the positive way. And I go, the best thing out of this is to keep my mind active, keep myself active, mm-hmm. keep myself going. That's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. And I had a fantastic time off. Yeah, great. I didn't even yeah. complain. Yeah. But yeah, we did miss a lot of gigs and a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people did it hurt them hard. Because everybody don't, everybody, you know, the little money is to pay for their little, you know, rent and pay their little bills, man. Mm. Got to look at it. They, they needed them little gigs. Yeah. Because some sure. of us live week by week. And all of a sudden, that's gone. Landlord saying, where's mine? You go like, well, I didn't make it. Wow. But luckily, again, lucky again. Uh, I think, think, lot the, of, yeah, think lot of, landlords yeah, sort of pulled through. Yeah, a lot of landlords pulled they? through and said, we understand. We're going yeah. to we're let that ride. Mm. You know, but commercial buildings almost had it differently. If you had like a, uh, they they were still asking for their money. I think a lot of commercial buildings, right? Yeah, the landlords are still because the banks, yeah, the banks are still asking. Landlords going, where's mine? You know, and so businesses. That's why a lot of businesses closed. Mm. A lot of businesses got, went out because some of the businesses couldn't afford to close and keep their business. Yeah, because because they were still asking for money. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, that. That, that's like the, the companies that ended up sort of taking their offices home type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or they ended, yeah, they did. They ended up going like closing the doors if they could and have it home. But yeah. like little restaurants or coffee shops or a lot of them held on. And I, some of the landlords made it came through at the end. But I think mm. the banks are doing something with them, making them uh, – I can't, I can't – I can't, I want to get it wrong. But yeah, okay. I know the banks are making them like, you know uh, – still pay interest or something. and So okay. they were constantly still having to pay money out, and they go like, well, man. But they had people in their buildings, and they didn't want to put them out because once you put them out, your building's empty. That's it. So, you know, it was catch-22 with them. But mm. for homeowners, I'm a homeowner also, we're lucky the banks just said, uh, no, don't worry about paying notes. Oh, great. That helped me out too. I didn't worry about paying paying uh, house notes. Right. Yeah. That's banks cool. said, nope, don't worry about notes. Yeah, and and nothing like well, once it picks up, you've got to kind of you missed out on this, so you've got to pay this extra. Did they just say no? That's it. We're just that's pausing it. everything. No, they pause everything. Wow, that's great. And uh, uh, if anything, they add the notes on at the end. Ah, right. You know, right. just you just instead of being say twenty two months, now it's twenty nine months. End of the day, you probably you know, and that's okay. Today. And that's yeah. okay. They didn't they didn't penalize you or nothing like that. Yeah. So banks were helping us out on home, helped a lot of us out on home loans. That's good. Yeah, the banks came through. So yeah, yeah. COVID. Yes, yeah, about COVID. COVID. So everybody had to readjust. They called the new normal. Mm. Yeah, man, we got a new normal now. Mm. You know, you can say over there in Nova Shore now, new normal, man. It's like yeah. something hitting. Here we go. We're locked down again. That's it. Yeah, Steve. It's just not so good. But then again, we always got to look up. Yeah. Cause it, and that's put us through. Yeah. I can't go there. Yeah. I ain't never going there. That's cool. I ain't never going there. That's, That's cool. not the way I live. Yeah. And you know, setting you know, having this set up today, you and I I sent you a text during the day and I said and I just thought I'll do the right thing and say, Well, I haven't been anywhere near those 
Northern Beaches hotspots or anything like that. And then I yeah, said to you, me. how are you about that? And you, you, I'm cool too. That's right. We're living in our little bubbles here, so here we are. So it's, it's great to be able to do that. Um, for how long? You know, if it could, it, maybe if it's tomorrow, they might just, like I said, lock everything down. And Tomorrow they might, <laughs> again, I, I, I suppose they're going to Tasmania in January. Yeah. I don't know now. Yeah. They'll just, they'll just, I just got the contract and guys signed everything to go work down, just to work down in Mona mm. just uh, two days ago. Yeah. And now I'm looking at, wow, they, they just sent my flights yesterday. Yeah. But that don't mean nothing. Yeah, because Tasmania shut the border straight away. Yeah, they? That was Tans- the there you go. I can't. I won't be able to get in. You mm. go do there's some more work that might hit me already. Mm. We talk about then. Even now, I gotta look and see if, I'm, if it's gonna stop me now from doing some work. Yeah, I might not even get to go to Tasmania and do this. Yeah, don't know. But I ain't gonna look down on it. Yeah, I'll find me something else. Yep. I'll go like, work on the house again. Again. Find something else. <laughs> what else? I'll find something else to fix. Build. <laughs> Paint. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can do it. Get one of those trade jumpers from yeah. Bunnings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, 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 just go all the way. Just get yeah. a Bunnings jumper. Just get a Bunnings jumper. I'll be yeah. there so trade much. Trade link. <laughs> <laughs> trade link. Yeah. This podcast was brought to you by Bunnings Trade Link. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's put that aside. For now, um, I just want to mention the first time I ever saw you. I didn't actually meet you this night, but I saw you play, and it was was early two thousands. It was at the Harborside Brasserie, and it was Professor Groove, and Phil Sobrano was playing guitar, and you were playing drums. And I just what I remember, there was one song that you guys played, and it was like a 10-minute jam almost, and you just sat on this groove almost the whole song. I was, at a fa- I was at a phase of my playing, you know, when I'm chopping up a lot, you know, <laughs> heaps of chops, you know, chopped yeah, there every end of every bar. Machine gun Kelly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just remember watching you going, fuck, how does he do that? You must have that urge to go brruh, 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 or something, you know, but you yeah. just sat on this, this groove while the other guys jammed. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forget the groove. Man, Harborside Brassy was such a good venue, such a good gig. We did it for like five years. Yep. You know, because they had like, because of the Harborside. Yeah. And in the, the back here, the back they had like the, oh, you call it a veranda or you want to call it the deck out there. Yeah, looking out at the yeah, water. Yeah, at the back you can look over and see the, you know, there's, there's the bridge and, and, and out the front house door, at the, the front, front door too, yeah. With the bridge. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, they had this venue, man, yeah. that was just like, man. But yeah, Professor Groove, we used to do a lot of, you know, you know, they, the boys like the old school rap and old school funk and all the old the, uh, sort of sort of uh, 80s, you know, uh, sort of, uh, 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 how can I say it, you know, with a lot of uh, electronic sort of stuff yeah. from the 80s, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, no parking, baby. Don't, don't, don't. No parking on the dance floor. All that old kind of stuff. They yep. like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you just had to set on the groove. Yeah. Let them do their thing out front, you know, and just like just 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 lock that pocket and lock that groove. Yeah. You know. But also, I grew up in them times too. So yep. I That's so it. I knew so I knew I knew all them grooves and all that music because yep. I grew up playing a lot of that stuff when I was younger. Yeah. You know, when I was young, starting out, when they used to tell me, "Man, keep it simple, stupid." 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got, yeah, I had to go through that, go through them days too. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, you just get there and you lock a groove and lock a pocket and, 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 and you learn to suck that groove. Mm. You have to suck it, man, until it pulsates. The groove has, it, it, it pulsates. It's not just do, do. It goes do, 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 do. It pulsates it. You know, it just like breathes. Mm-hmm. And then you go like, yeah, this is it. And people like have to, they have to move. Mm. They have to dance. They yeah. have to move because they can feel that. They can yeah. feel it pulsating to the beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, man, that's right. You saw me Harvestside Brass yep. for days. That's what yep. I was doing, Steve. And I had I had uh, Phil Sobrano on the podcast um, a few months back, and and I brought up that that moment as well because that was the first time I'd ever seen Phil as well. Yep. And we talked about that that gig. Yeah, awesome. All right, let's uh, let's roll right back. Let's fly fly back overseas from back back to Michigan. Whoa, you're taking me oh, way back. Oh, we're going back. way back. We're Man, going, we're going r- way, Wait a minute. Can I think back that far? <laughs> Shit. Yeah, let's. Way I, back to Michigan. I want to sort of paint a picture of, you know, of you know, growing up in Michigan and, and like everybody knows, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, yep. and it's, you know, it's the Motor City, it's Motown, and, you know, a lot of amazing Music has come out of that place, you know. Oh, yeah, man. Um, and I can imagine that kind of set a tone for you. So can we, you know, yeah, go right back to to, to your family. Was was your mum and dad musical? No, man. I got mm-hmm. I had six brothers and yep. two sisters, and I'm the only musician. Is that right? I'm the only one, man. Okay. Out of all of them. Mm. You know, my father always loved music, though. He always was always music around the house. Always some jazz, some blues. Had a lot of older siblings, and it's always. We always was, you know, because Motown and yeah. Stacks, but even Motown for Stacks, are always jamming, always music in the house. Yep. So when I grew up, man, I grew up like, the thing is, I go back to like kindergarten. I remember playing, wanting to be a musician from year, from, from five years old. Okay. And we all used to do this in grade school when we were kindergartners. Me and a lot of my friends, we did it when we were kindergartners. And, uh... Just a little story. People always think that the ghetto was being such a bad place. And the ghetto, well, see, I grew up when the ghetto was a community, healthy. So, I mean, so when I went to school, even in the kindergarten, I had teachers and black teachers in the schools he went to. Man, they, they encouraged us to do things like that if we wanted to be music. As I got went to grade school, they encouraged us and let us bring instruments to school. Let us play at recess. When we finally got good enough, we can go around and maybe perform for the kindergarten classes I got in year three and four and five. Mm. Uh, we would have talent shows at the end of the end. Like I say Friday, the last hour be talent show. Everybody had to like get up and do something. So they encouraged this kind of stuff out of us. And uh, uh, and see, when I was little, I used to like everybody else beat up my mama's pots and pans and. We had these boxes, grit boxes, as they call them back in the days. They were round, mm-hmm. playing the boxes and do things. So finally, my mother and father, the time I got in about a year, three or so, or four, they bought me a pair of bongos. And I, and I used to take my bongos to school every day. Mm-hmm. And me and the fellas used to play, you know, because then we could, before that, we were playing in the desk. We had to do all these grooves in the desk with our, with our, with our, with our knuckles and our, and our, and our, and our and our wrists, yep. and, you know, we could do all kind of stuff. And that was our, that was a jam. So when somebody got a pair of bongos, that was like, you know, ooh. That was, ooh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was Some like, change. ooh, that was like, that was like, <laughs> man, wait a minute, bongos. 
So I had a pair of bongos <laughs> to go to school. I, I got off the desk, off the pots and pans. Yeah. So this is me growing up, and this is like grade school, man. You're four or five, you know, and doing, you know, doing that sort of thing. We all played, and we get to be playing, sing at school, and and by the time I got to finish grade school and went to year seven, there was a actually there's a band around these singers around town. Now we're going back to the '60s because the doo wop. See Temptations, Donna Ross, and you hear all this stuff. That was the doo wop days. So of course, singers back then in the talent shows, and this uh these these singers that were back then they recorded they recorded the patterns, and they had won a couple of major talent shows. Like they won state. They, they were so good. I mean, the whole state of Michigan yep. get together and have all these doo wop and talent shows. They won one. Uh, they they won one at the local high school, which was like all black high school. And I mean, to win that was like you had to be like the shit. Mm. And these guys, and decided I didn't even really notice. I just noticed from a book that one of the brothers put out. And we read about. It. I read about when they got together. I go, oh okay. As a and when they got together, they figured, okay, now we got to get a band. And uh, when I got out, when I got out of year six, I went to year seven. And these cats and a friend of mine say, hey, Calvin, you want to join this band? I go. Yeah, man, let's go. Yeah, I want to go. Come on, let's go. And went to this rehearsal, and it was these guys, the patterns. And they were, like, playing, you know, and doing their thing, and people sitting around, I put my bongos out, we joined in. They had cats. I was, like, yeah, year seven. They, had, they were, like, supposed to be older, like, in year, like, you know, maybe nine and ten and eleven, and, you know, we all playing. And mm. They looked around and said, whoa, this cat, and they wanted me to play bongos with them. <laughs> And from that day on, the Patterns Band, and uh, yeah, we did a lot of shows. We, and when I say shows, see, we were doing like so. We were getting paid. Mm-hmm. We were doing like the the whole stroll back then, the whole strip. We used to have a strip back then that had like a, I mean, like would have like seven, eight nightclubs, all of them packed every night, mm-hmm. and they were doing these clubs, Club Riviera. They were doing, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, Limelight. They were doing, they were doing all these clubs. They would get booked. Dude would go to go out of town, go to Muskegon, we go to Lansing. I actually grew up in Grand Rapids, not Detroit, but yeah, yeah Detroit. Yeah. We used to go around Michigan and do all these gigs mm. because they had this little name and they had this band. Mm. And this is what we did, Jackson, Michigan, mm. you know, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. We went around doing all these gigs and mm. that was like year seven. And I would get, I would get like, uh, you know, six or $8 a gig. Yeah. They go, well, six or $8? Man, back then, yeah. that was like, you know, Nothing cost anything, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, you go to school, or, or milk costs you three cents, you know. Or yeah. Lunch costs you 25, 35 cents. You know, I, the weekend, I get fish the weekend, I got like, you know, 20, 30, 40 dollars yeah. in my pocket. You're bowling. I was like, I was You're like, bowling. I was like, I was like, big time yeah, money. Yeah. <laughs> big money back then to me. So, yeah, that's how I started. Yeah. And that's how it was back then. And, 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 uh, I guess I can tell you about Michigan when I say all those, all those, all, all that was going on, like I told you, had a, had, a, had a strip where there was a lot of like clubs on, and one club on the strip was uh, in the Chitlin Circuit. Was in definitely like the big time Chitlin Circuit, where you know, where like who knows, uh, Grant Green would come to, uh, Funk Incorporated came. Mm. Uh, uh, of course, you know L. Green's from my hometown. Yeah. See L. Green, when L. Green come up, I knew his first producer and his first writer, which was uh, wasn't Stax. Yeah. It was a guy named Palmer James and mm-hmm. Kurt Rogers. And L. Green hadn't even been discovered yet. He was still the Green Brothers. He was singing with his family. Yeah. 
You know, you can go see L. Green, the same with his family. L. Green, like everybody else, was doing James Brown and everything, all these other covers. Mm. And then he went, because that first hit got him to Memphis. I don't know his whole story, but I do know when, I do know his first hit. Yep. Coming out of Michigan, coming out of my hometown. Mm. So everybody doing these clubs. Everybody mm. doing the same scene. I'm doing this, I'm young, doing the same little scene with everybody else. And uh, uh, we had one club that's on the Chitlin circuit. And, like, everybody came there. Everybody came there. And and you had to... uh. uh you know, and on and Saturdays it's have matinees. So of course matinees mean jam sessions. You can play in jam sessions. The jam sessions back then they like here. I don't want jam session stuff here. You give a go. You don't go set it with these people and give it a go. Mm. If you didn't know, or you know what you was doing, if they even thought you knew what you were doing. Plus, at our age, we couldn't even get in unless they knew us or we had a union card or mm. we were gigging the clubs they knew and let us in. Mm. Really, 21, young uh, young people couldn't even get in clubs. Yeah. I was lucky enough where they happened to know who we were. That came later. When I was like year six, year seven, eight, I even I wasn't doing that yet because I, that came later when I started when I started playing drums. Yep. I'm still playing percussion yep. and congas and yep. I'm playing all that sort of stuff. So uh, uh, so yeah, that healthy, it was like, I was saying it because it was like so healthy. Music, clubs, nightclubs, where we just played. Uh, and now when I say doo-wop, when I mention the doo-wop days is because this is before like all the bands were hitting. Mm-hmm. See, so you backing up, when I, when I first went out back in those days, we took up reviews. Reviews, yep. like Motown, yep. the Motor View, Stack Review. Yep. So we so we took a show out. It was it was a female group, male group, you know, female singer, male singer, yep. MC, yep. go-go dancers, a band, you back up a show. Yep. And that's and that's what we did when we first hit it. We we're doing stuff like that also. And playing behind these talent shows and you know, just doing all that sort of stuff. That's when I was real young, and and that that's what got me started. So I so I you know I, I learned how to play on stage. In other words, I started playing on stage. Yep. About year seven. Still percussion. Playing in bands, playing yep. percussion. Yep. And then eventually got me a pair of congas, and that was huge because you know Motown yep. had congas and bongos and stuff. Mm-hmm. See, so that made a big deal, and that's why people always say everybody want to have that name music because mm-hmm. that was a big deal. And when I and you know, I got about fifteen, sixteen. Hang on, can I just go back a little bit? Was there any musicians or, like, did you know of any percussionists at that stage or um, that gave you a bit of influence to start playing? Or were you just, did it all just come about from the jamming on, on the desk with you? Oh, from the desk, friends? man, all from the desk. That desk. was it, yeah, yeah. All from and the desk. And you didn't discover musicians no, well, till later? we discovered yeah. later because yeah. we started listening to Michael Sam Maria. We started listening yeah. to... You know, uh, 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 Palomino de Costa or somebody, when they came later, we started yeah. listening to, of course, the first one is uh, uh, Eddie Bongo. For, I mean, the guy that played with the Motown. Yeah. He was the one. Yeah. Yes. He was the percussionist, right? Oh, yeah, he was the one that played bongos and congos and all those songs. Yeah. And then who was the drum? Um, Uriel Benny Jones. Benjamin. Benny, Benny Benjamin. Benjamin, Pistol Pete. Yeah. Yep. Benny Benjamin, the one that started the whole Motown beat. He's the yeah. first one to start it. You know, Al Jackson was the first one. Yeah, he's the one over and over and over over stacks. Yeah. Yeah. the pickup. Yeah. He had that pickup. Benny Benjamin started. He's the one that named the Funk Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. At the Snake Pit. Just a little history of Motown with it. Yep. Because they had this little, had all the all the cores and everything going everywhere. Yeah. 
And uh, uh, the story is one day they were leaving the they were leaving the leaving the snake pit, and he turned around. And he goes like, "You know what, y'all? We the Funk Brothers." <laughs> and that and that name it sort of stuck, but uh, Barry Gordy didn't like Funk Brothers, right? So he never would say it. Yeah, he would never use it. Yep. But they called themselves the Funk Brothers. But yep. Barry Gordy never. Matter of fact, Barry Gordy never used none. Put none of name on anything. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Which you know the history of that. Yeah. But Benny Benjamin named it the Funk Brothers. Right. But yeah. So yeah, all that I didn't. I, I didn't have really didn't know anything about percussionists like that. And of course, Dizzy Gillespie had he had, he had started doing stuff with one really congos and bongos. But he was starting to do that Brazilian stuff. Yeah. Bring a lot of percussion in from. You know, in jazz, mm. see, uh, uh, Dizzy Gillespie was actually very influenced in doing, bringing a lot of that into uh, into the American scene. Mm. You know, bringing, yeah, the samba and bosses, all that sort of stuff in. He was, yeah, he brought a lot of, a lot of players over yeah. to play with him. But no, that's, I just learned how to play bongos and congos from listening to records. I should listen to records, I play records yep. every day, yep. all day long. Uh, of course, I still play football, basketball, I still... I still went to school. I still went on tours on the weekends. Yep. You know, we, I, I still had little jobs, little summer jobs. Uh, constantly, constantly, constantly doing stuff. Because I grew up all my life, I've been like that. Just been busy. But but a lot, a lot of music. I can take you back to a lot of music. And there was always rivalry bands. I mean, yeah, we right. the Patterns. There was the TMGs. There was the Black Aces of Soul. There was uh, Captain Country and the Funky Bunch. There was... <laughs> <laughs> What a name! <laughs> <laughs> there was man. There was there was oh there was a uh, 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 the people's choice. There was uh you know I go on and on and on man. There was so many bands and so many groups of us man. There's the TMGs. Mm. They were like they were like this shit too. Right. TMGs were yeah. like oh they were man. They, they had the hot horn section and these two brothers, Eastern brothers. These boys could play. Yeah. Guitar and bass, and they were, and they were forced to reckon with. And man, it was see, it was healthy. There was clubs are there, the music was there. We all were out there playing. I told you the ghetto was wasn't the ghetto as people know it now. It was a community of people, and we did it all the time. There was clubs, clubs, and places all the time to play, man. Yeah, like all the time to play. And so I grew up playing on stage like like that for years and. Mm. And of course, uh, uh, back then, you know, like you buy uh, bands got together and they bought their instruments. You know, we did pop bottle drives, we did newspaper drives, we did everything, hustling money. Uh, there was a few organizations that would help youth organizations to help black musicians help us come up. They lent us a little money, actually give us a little money, and and we bought all our instruments. And that's yeah. when I got me a pair of congas. The band I was with, we. All got together and bought new instruments, new PA. The drummer bought a bought a, a Buddy Rich Slingerland kit. Yeah. I bought my congas. We bought new this. He bought Fender Baker's Fender and and Gibson. Gibson was in Kalamazoo back then. That's right, right. in Michigan. That was yeah. like forty five minute drive. Yeah, go, go buy a Gibson right at the factory. You know that was right there. We we buy all that stuff and uh and that's when I started playing congas. And we got all the band. We got we bought all our gear and got brand new gear, and we were ready for the road to hit some more stuff. And then and, and out of that, uh, our, our, the drummer in the band, uh, he was he was a few years older than me. I mean, eventually, eventually, uh, ev- long story short, eventually, I ended up with the drum kit. Yeah, I still got the drum kit. Yeah, the slinging. I still got that '68 slinging. Really? Drum kit. Wow. Yeah, it's up here, right up there. 
Store it up there. That's oh, one. Wow. I got a store it up there. I got a sling, 68 Slingerland, Buddy Rich Slingerland kit that he bought back then that I ended up getting it because I was in the band so long and I ended up, you know, giving him a little money for it or something because yeah. he had stopped playing and got married or something at one time. And I was actually doing more playing with it than him back then yep. at that point as I as I progressed in drums. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, man, I don't know how to, long story short, but yeah, man. That's how that's how I grew up in music and and then I got a uh, I was with a you know another story people talk about drums you know first time I ever played drums was was on a gig mm. I did a gig my first time on drums so no uh, no, pra- no practice no jam oh I was playing percussion yeah 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 so it's okay. It's a couple uh, of extra limbs. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little, it was a little long story short again. Yeah. The, the guys are older. See, they U-Haul was 60s. See, U-Haul is going. You know, I had actually played the drums a couple of times in the 60s. Now, I wasn't really a, being a drummer yet, but I was never thinking about being a drummer. But uh, the drummer, the guys went back with the U-Haul. We're out of town. We're like in, I think we're like in Battle Creek or somewhere. And we live in Grand Rapids. So the guys could take the U-Haul back mess with some girls and then come back the next day and their girlfriends wouldn't even know it because they're supposed to be in Battle Creek. But they're coming back, mess with some girls and go back. You know, but I'm young, I'm not driving nothing. And one of the guitar players with us named Butch Cook, Kenneth Cook his name, but Butch Cook we called him. He was an older guy, like he was like older in high school. His boy was doing Santana, Jimi Hendrix, slides. He was doing behind the back. He was doing all this stuff, man. I never buy in my life do this. And he was doing this stuff back in and we were young kids. He could just like he was doing like just he just was a monster. One of those guys. Oh, monster. Yeah. You no, know, yeah, as a young kid coming up. Yeah. But he said, Calvin, I don't know, man. I don't think they're gonna make it back in time. Maybe we better go. Uh, let's go and rehearse tomorrow. Let's go. Let's go and see if we could, you know, see if you can play some songs or something in case they come late. Okay, you know, young you go, you go. And I went and got behind the kit, and the bass player was there, and me and him, and we just started trying to play these songs. And you know, I was shit house, of course. I didn't know yeah. nothing. I couldn't, you know, the whole sticks. I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to figure it out. You know, when you get around and okay, we did a little while and. Cool, but I don't know what happened when that night came, and they didn't come back. They were they were they went at the show. It was time to go on. They weren't there. He said, "All right, Calvin, you got to play drums." I got behind the kit, and the place was rocking. Yeah, <laughs> they ran in late, thinking something was wrong, and everybody in the place was jamming and rocking. Cause you cause you had to play good anyway. Them days to keep them them ghetto clubs to get people up on the floor jamming. You didn't have to, you didn't mess around. I don't know what happened that night, <laughs> but I got there and I, whatever I figured out must have hit me. And I started playing these beats. And they went, what? And I just started playing them. And that's how, and then, of course, when he, when he finally got there about an hour or so late, he went back on drums, I went back on percussion, and that was it. That was my first gig. That was my first time on drums. Yeah. But I liked it. I yeah. knew I liked drums. And the bass player liked it too. He said, man, why don't you come and practice early, man? And and then you start working on some stuff on drums, you know, because the drum kit was always set up. I go, okay. Larry Rhodes. Larry Rhodes is his name. And I would go and Larry would show me how to he would play a bass pattern and make me match my foot to him. My foot had to match his bass yeah. every time. Do 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 do
So he hasn't eased you into it. Huh? <laughs> he hasn't eased you into it. <laughs> well, that was his way of easing me. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I had to do this kind of stuff with him. Yeah. And he had me do it and do it until the <laughs> rehearsal started and, and the pattern rehearsal and, you know, go through. And those guys do all the routines and moves the steps, do up, you know, do all that sort of stuff. So I eventually started, started learning how to play drums. And every now and again, uh, the drummer never go, Kevin, you want to play a song? Oh, okay. And he let me play a song. Yeah. And so I started playing drums like that. And, and that'd be like on the show. And then, because uh, I was still playing percussion, I, I, got a, I got a call one time from this producer. His name was Bob Crawford. He had this label called Jazz Masters. And he, they wanted to put some percussion on these, on these, with this jazz artist. Because again, percussion starting to sell. See more, you know, uh, mm. you know, uh, Mongo Samaria or mm. all this stuff. You know, all these different things are selling. You know, percussion is like being becoming being you know this hit thing on tracks. Mm. More congos, more stuff. Okay, so I go to the studio where there's this cat, Sonny Stitt, sax player. Mm. Sonny Stitt. At that time, I didn't know, but Sonny Stitt is like a legend. Right now, you Google his name, you won't believe it. Mm. Legend, and all these cats were like, uh, were there, man, in the studio. Uh, uh, Danny Spencer's on drums, and a guy named Ron Brooks was on double bass, and Eddie Russ was on keyboards. They were just hooking it for the first time. Eddie Russ and and uh, and Sonny Stitt. Eddie Russ, this keyboard player, he played with Dizzy, he played with Sarah Vaughn, he played with Stan Getz, and these cats were in the studio. And I and I and I'm there to go play percussion with these cats. Mm. I'm looking at this going like, whoa. You know, and they were doing like, we doing like sort of just doing some tracks and trying to do some like, you know, pop songs, modern songs mm. or so. But they would always be doing this jazz in between takes and be doing jazz and just blowing. And I'm like, oh man, I want to learn how to play drums like that. I just couldn't believe this cat was doing all this stuff on drums. Mm. You know, back to you again, you know, the bullets. Mm. The bullet, you know, he wasn't that, but but to me it was like, you know, machine gun Kelly. How's he? How's he? You know, and, and they swinging. How's he doing all this stuff? And uh, and I wanted to learn how to do that too. Mm. Then I would go do my funk and soul stuff, you know. Then I would go back to these sessions. I did many sessions. Matter of fact, I did for about four years. I hung out with these cats. Doing sessions and, and 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 doing stuff and overdubs. I was at all the all the, all the sessions and overdubs and and uh, long story short, again within that four year period, I started playing drums with these cats. Mm. In four years, I started playing jazz with these cats. Mm. They let me play. They let me start to play with them, hang out and play with them. Eddie took me to Europe. I went to Europe and every play with these cats, man. They used to let me start doing this stuff and play jazz with them, man. Were they kick? Were they kicking your ass? Well, they were, they, were they hard on you? No, no. What? Okay. No, these are these are real, really real cats. They yeah. knew I had. A, they knew I could had a little beat. They liked it. You know, Calvin. What, man? You ever play brushes? No, no. I ain't got no brushes. Go buy a pair of brushes. I, we, I might need a brushes on this song. What song we're doing? And he and I bought a pair of brushes. He said, I don't know how you're playing, man. Somehow they just swoop them around and. And, and and okay, try that. And we're gonna do this ballad song, you know. 
they were never hired them. I mean, they were just they, yeah. they, they would go through all the cores and all the charts and go through the heads, all this stuff. I'd be sitting there and they go, "Okay, you ready, Calvin?" I go, "Yeah, I'm ready," because I'd sit there and watch, hear them go through the song. You know, I can remember, I can, I can remember that stuff. Mm. So I remember these songs and I started playing with them and. You know, and they, you know, they let me start playing with them. But the cats I used to watch back there was Danny Spencer, another cat named Randy Gillespie, another jazz drummer out of Detroit. He was a brother was a monster. To me, he was a monster back there. I had mm. cats around my hometown that were doing jazz and stuff. And so I started doing jazz and then doing the funk and soul stuff. And I started going back and forth and learning drums at the same time as I was playing percussion until I finally, and eventually I became... I, eventually I realized that I was a, a drummer. Mm. I never thought about being a drummer. I never mm. thought it'd be about being a professional musician because we did it for the fun of it. Mm. We, I guess nowadays they want to they think about going to school and all this stuff, being a professional musician, but I really never thought about it that way. I just, like I, I lucked up on being a, a professional musician. <laughs> it's mm. just something I just did mm. as I as I got older. You know, it's just one day I woke up and I just realized, wait a minute, man, shit. Oh, shit, I'm a drummer. I'm playing gigs here, gigs there. I'm traveling. I come back. I'm doing stuff. And, you know, well, I mean, I guess I'm a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's how it really hit me. I never really thought about it. Was there any formal lessons at all at any stage? No, I never had formal lessons. Never? I had a couple of cats, another cat, uh, which is everything I'm saying is probably not in sequence. Yeah, you know, cool. but but I had a, another guy, a friend of mine. He was a guy I used to play with these guys, uh, in uh, like you know the local clubs, you know, like in local clubs. Again, I'm saying when you're in the ghetto clubs, you better be you better be slamming, you better be doing hits, you better be slamming, you better be playing. They didn't mess around. As I grew up, I started playing with some cats. They used to be with like uh. R.C. Crawford, he was he used to play. He was a guitar player playing with Junior Walker and the All Stars. There was uh, Walter Corley and D.D. Taylor. They were playing with the main ingredients. There was uh, Robert Levitt. He was playing with. He was playing also with uh, 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 Junior Walker and the All Stars. There were uh, another guy who used to come to town. He used to come to town with his band all the time. And the Chitlin Circuit was talking about we should go watch them in this club. Mm. They were like, they were like bad. The drummer was like bad, grooving. But he was also, he used to also used to be one of George Benson's drummers right. before Benson was, because they're from the same hometown. Mm-hmm. Dave Paris. And Dave Paris, another cat, he also played marimbas and did stuff like that. As the years went on, as I got to know Dave, he would hire me to play drums. While he played marimbas and sang out front and do all these standards and all this sort of stuff, and we'd go around and do the Hiltons and all this sort of stuff. Mm. But Dave would, you know, because he did all these sort of songs, all this sort of stuff, Dave knew all this stuff and knew everything. On He was a drummer. He was like a drummer. <laughs> and Dave was cool. I had Dave to help me out, sort of. I had another drummer, drummer friend used to come through. If you Google his name, anybody out there, you Google George Brown. George Brown would play with Yusef Latif all the time. Oh, he toured with, uh, oh, man, he played with, who else, man? I look up George. What else time I see? George, jazz drummer in my town, used to play with, man, he played with, I, just Google his name. He played with so many people. You have to Google it. You wouldn't believe it. Go, who just George Brown cat? George was, and he was a guy from my hometown. And as I used to come up playing drums, when George was in town, he lived a lot in Paris 
actually, he did a lot in Paris because jazz. He, whenever he was in the hometown, George used to always come to my gigs. He always come to my gigs and stand next to my kid and watch me play and, and talk to me. You know, we was talking stuff. And George would always, like, you know, just just a, another another cat in my hometown that was an awesome drummer mm. and take me to go see Youssef Latif. Kevin, we, I got a gig with Youssef this weekend. You want to come? Yeah, man. I'll go with you. you. I ain't got nothing to do. George, take me. And I'm watching him play with Youssef Latif. You know, you go like, wow. You know, just stuff like that. You know? Mm. And, and and then and then and then all the supports I did when I was younger with bands. You know, I I I did supports for like Isaac Hayes, Isaac Hayes when he had Hot Butter Soul out. His first album. I did I did supports for that. Mm. Uh Eddie Russ, keyboard player I told you about. We did we did supports for people like Freddie Hubbard. Mm. Uh, you know, I did supports for people like Joe Pass with with with, with Eddie Russ. We did Joe Pass or uh who else, man? Oh, man, There's probably hundreds. You oh, don't have man, to name them. so much stuff we don't used to feel, do. Don't feel you have to name every single person. Yeah, so much stuff we used to do when we were younger. And, that, and, and, and I guess what I'm getting at, you mentioned Michigan. I'm saying Michigan was that healthy yep. that we played and played and played all the time. Yep. All the time we played and played and played and played. And I was lucky enough to, to play funk, soul, blues, got into the jazz scene, mm. uh, started, started touring with cats when I was – we kind of went, went to about 70, 77 for when I first went overseas with Eddie Russ. And we went over, we did uh, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, all these kind of places mm. overseas, you know. But we were in like the same, like like uh, Elvin Jones was two nights before me. Yeah, right. You know, I go back and see, I, I remember going back to the club we played at and there was Gary Burton and Steve Squallow and them playing the night after me. At the club, see, so we were doing the same, the same circuit. We were like in the same circuit of these cats, man, you know. And we were going to be doing these tours, and and, and I mean, and we were getting big write-ups. Yeah, I was getting really big write-ups back then. I, I didn't even know I didn't even know it. It was a yeah. Two of them used to show me the the write-ups, and I'd be my picture being the paper or something, and they and they they, they were and they would have these cats uh, tell these cats that they had a. Oh, I told you, he told you, which is a story you find you bragging on yourself, but we're talking podcasts. But the guy come to me one day and he says, Calvin, we got a problem. And the tour, I go, what is it? He said, well, uh, we got to move your drum soles up the first set. I said, okay. See, yeah, because the write-ups in the papers and people on during the week, some will have to go home early and <laughs> they don't want to miss your drum solos. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's cool. Because that's how I was... When I was younger, I used to be like you, like you say, Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I used to be like, I wanted to be Machine Gun Kelly too. Yeah. Play jazz, although you in the contents of the music, not yeah. just do it. And they were loving you know? it. You know, but then I was lucky on the other side, I was doing R&B in these clubs and funk and soul. Yeah. Where I knew when not to be Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. I, I knew a difference yeah. when I was playing jazz and when I was playing this. Because that's just, just the way it was when I grew up. You ended up moving to LA. So how did yeah. that come about? Oh, getting the friends, one of the friends at the patterns actually, mm-hmm. and then another friend, which again at the patterns, and uh, we used to have a group called Wall Street when I was younger, funk band Wall Street. We were like, uh, oh man, it's hard to say. These cats, we all, yeah, we all grew up wanting to be musicians. 
all of us, and we end up being musicians. Some, uh, the ones are hitting now and doing shit now in L.A. Yeah. And again, New York, L.A., they still hitting, doing stuff. Anyway, uh, a lot of my friends that moved to L.A., they, they hit in the 70s. They went to L.A., do P-Funk stuff, some of them. Mm-hmm. Some went off. One other friend of mine, a couple, few of them went off and did a band called Switch. You said P- P-Funk. There's, there's, <laughs> there there's, it is. There's some Parliament. Like a, a, a box set CD of Parliament sitting on the table there. On the table. <laughs> and uh, one of them went back and went off to hit a band called uh, Switch. Switch, is, Switch uh, people know who Switch is. Uh, a friend of mine, they put five albums out. Two went platinum, three went gold. That's how huge they were in America. Right. But them, they were out there. And uh, the other friend, Nate, was out there. And when they went to L.A. to do all this stuff in the 70s, I wanted to play, I was more into playing jazz and stuff, wanted to learn more. I went to Europe. I went to Europe and started with Eddie and them playing jazz. They all went out there and I mean, they hit contracts, they hit. They were like hitting. Mm. So I got back from Europe one one year and I thought, you know, got back and around my hometown, I'm thinking, man, ain't nothing to do around here. It's really like, to really, I could feel that, Maybe I had grown the place or something. Yep, yep. Nothing to do. I didn't know what to do. I was growing. I thought I was still playing. So I contacted, uh, and I had my old band there. I had my own band there called CWC Experience. We used to go out and do sort of mixed jazz with vocals and fusion and stuff. Mean sax player, Wooden Machen, was blowing with us. I mean, these cats are like players, man. But uh, we had like, and Corley, another guy, Walter Corley, when I told you to be the main ingredients, he was playing keyboards for me. Had a young boy named Evil, called him Evil, Kevin Gillespie. Young boy was on bass. This young boy was like fire. And we used to go do these gigs. But I contacted some friends out in L.A. And I said, man, what you doing? I go, what? Nothing. Man, you should come out here, man. It's the 80s, I go. 80, I went like, okay, man, I'm going to save some money up. So we saved money up. We bought us an old station wagon, put a trailer on the back of it, loaded some gear and shit in it. And we took off to L.A. And that's when I went to L.A. I got there. And, of course, here we are in L.A. And you go like, okay, right now, nothing. I ain't got <laughs> no money, really. Three, four hundred dollars in my pocket, maybe. <laughs> you know? And here we are in L.A., but we had a place to stay for a minute. Yeah. We could stay there. And uh, Nate, Nate was his name, Nate Thomas. Nate, uh, Nate organized a few rehearsals and a couple gigs some gigs around LA, like a place called the Candy Store. Candy Store was like a that bit that was one like the one the elite black clubs and and it was up on uh Sunset Boulevard. Well a lot of the elite blacks would go there to this club. You, know, you might go there and see El Jero pop in, Joe Frazier come through, you know, uh, you know, you know, anybody. Anybody came to the, all of them came to the and you go there to get showcases of playing there. That was like you had to you know, know somebody to get them to get to them doors. So uh, I was doing gigs up there with Nate, and uh, and then of course Reagan come through and Reaganomics hit. The whole industry just closed. There was nothing. Here we are. There was absolutely like nothing happening in the music industry. Mm. Like the doors are shut, and you out there, and you going like, wow. You know what are you doing? You out there with nothing, nothing. That's when I thought, okay. Uh, what I did, uh, started, 
I didn't have no money. I used to get up. I used to walk around L.A. by foot. I could walk all because I lived in the, I lived at least in L.A. I didn't live in the over in the, over the over over the mountains. You know, I I could walk around L.A., knock on doors, catch people I knew, mm. hang out with people, do things, network, try to get things going. And I did. I made sure I got a few gigs, a few things out of it and doing things because, I mean, it was nothing happened in the industry, nothing at all. And I'm not a singer. I wasn't a singer-writer type, so I'm a drummer. Go like, see what a drummer do here? I just, I just left a place where I'm playing drums all the time. Now I'm in a place where it's like uh, Session City. Yeah. You're doing sessions, or they people writing, uh, trying to get hits, you know? So gigs are like, you have to really like be in the know yep. to get gigs in, with certain places. So I'm, I'm getting lucky and getting a few gigs in a few places. And to finally, uh, I finally ran into a friend. Uh, and and uh, cause we, man, we got, we're in this place and they, L.A. didn't play that shit. If you if I, if I, if I come stay with you, they, and the landlord find I'm staying with you, oh no, that ain't no 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 no. You got to go. You got to go. Simple. You got to go. So we're in this place, and the landlord find we was there, and he said they gotta go. Oh shit. Okay, we gotta go. Give you I'll give you all one week, but to be out of here. Shit. Okay, one week. Nowhere to go. You got nowhere to go. Yeah. One week. Ain't got no money. Plus, you know, you're not even tapped into LA yet. Yeah. If you ain't got a a, 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 a driver license, LA driver license or something, the out of state driver license, you might as well be like from the moon. Oh no, no, no. Landlords, people didn't take any of that kind of stuff. So man, I said, shit, what am I gonna do? You know, so you Nothing, you know, so I got out doing my walking, walking around, looking for stuff. And uh, somebody hollered, hey, Welch. See, where I'm from, my family, my my, my father was like a, uh, my father was like a very a big community leader. And my mother, you know, uh, we're talking like my father just looked after us. He looked after all the kids in the block. If, 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 if principals in schools, if they messed with you, my father's in the school. Mm. Mr. Welch, Mr. Welch, he said, all these are my kids. Every last one of them. Because we're talking like still America, white, black, precious to the shit. Yeah. We got these white teachers in high school and yeah. in these schools. My father be up there in a minute because he's from Birmingham, Alabama. You know, you know, back down in Selma where Martha the King got stoned and shit. Mm. See, my father grew up down there. Mm. You can imagine how he, he never taught us about being racist or anything like that. Because that ain't how you, that, that would only put you in jail. Or dead. Mm. This is how you play the game, son. Mm. And he talked to us like that. But anyway, big community leader because he kept everybody on like that. Mm. He came around him. So, uh, 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 so I'm saying. So, so, so my father used to again. He used to go to school even if even if even if you got in trouble, he'd go up there and tell them, you know, don't mess with the kids. If you're gonna mess with anybody, mess with me. Man to man, you mess with me. Don't mess with these kids. They may think they're old, it may be this, that, but they're not. They're kids. So I'm getting that is this. Everybody knew my family. My family, when I go home, I go home right now today. If my name goes up in a club, it'll, I'll pack it. Yeah. People will pack just to see me play drums yeah. right that's now cool. today. Cool. And I haven't lived there in about 40 years. Wow, that's awesome. I go today and I will pack a club. So 
let's look now back to L.A. I'm out there, so I'm walking down the street. It's about, hey, Welch. Shit. A car pull up. Man, when you get out here? Oh, man, I just got out here. Been here a few months, man, but shit, they just throwing me out this place. Man, fuck that. I got a house. You need a place to stay? I got a house. Shit. Cool. Number now we hang out. We talk a little stuff, hang out. Next day, I get up, I do the same thing. Somebody flag me down again. Man, what you doing here? <laughs> what? Man, what? I got a house. You need a place to stay? I got a house. I'm telling you, long story short, within about two or three days, I had about four places to stay. And didn't have nowhere. I was just getting kicked out. These cats had houses. They said, where you want, Calvin? I said, well, you know, I got other cats with me. We out here doing some stuff and writing some songs and doing a few things. I got these cats with me. They go like, bring them too. Because I'm looking at the people that's with me again. Mm-hmm. You know, not like, see y'all later, man. I got me a place. No. <laughs> I didn't do no shit like that. So I'm bringing cats with me. Yeah. I got, you know, y'all come with me. And they did. And I ended up, what I ended up going actually was to uh, Oceanside. I left L.A. Actually, I left L.A. I went to a friend's house in Oceanside because he was, he was in the Navy and he had a good setup. I go there, had a place we could hang out, rehearse, practice, do a few things, and regroup so we can go back to L.A. You know, we had to, think, we had to rethink this shit. But mm-hmm. I didn't go back home. We did that. While we were there, uh, we flew in another cat. From flew two, two, we flew two cats in. One, uh, uh, Eddie Guyton, another one, Dee Dee Taylor, another cat I just to play with in the, when I grew up. We flew them in. And we started writing and doing stuff. And then uh, made a couple phone calls to L.A. And some cats come down. And uh, one cat, he had been doing stuff with Norman Whitfield. Another cat was hanging out and writing with, with, with uh, uh, Alan Lingren. Alan Lingren was with Neil Diamond. So we hooked up with these cats. We went back to L.A. They put us in an apartment. Long story short, Neil, Alan Linger ended up giving us this Porsche to drive around in. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're writing songs and doing stuff and doing demos. And we had Norman Whitfield Jr. doing our, doing our, doing our, being our engineer. Norman Whitfield, people know who he is. He's a cat that wrote, I heard it through the grapevine. That's one hit. He's the cat that wrote Papa Was a Rolling Stone. He's the cat that I can go on and on. Mm. Now, his songs are engineer, and that's how we got it. So we're doing stuff and writing songs with them, see? And we're writing songs, and we're doing stuff and getting tracks out, and, and uh, I always wanted to work. I went, hey, man, this is cool writing this stuff, but I got to work. And so we're in L.A., so I, I write in the evening, but in the daytime, I would go work at a car wash, just like the movie Car Wash. Yeah. All these young cats around there, man. Music jumping, boxes going, yeah. people's jamming, music going, just like the movie Car Wash. Yeah. I was in it. <laughs> For real. Yeah. I was washing cars. In this thing, washing cars and working on songs and doing shit. Uh, and, and out of that, uh, I got tired of doing that. And I one of my walks again, I ran across a brother that was doing some painting on a sidewalk. I said, man, what you doing? He said, oh, man, you paint? I said, yeah, I can paint. See, man, I need some help. I said, cool. I started painting with this cat. And from that cat, I started painting. I started doing sheet rock. I started doing jip rock. I started doing, learning myself a whole trade back then. Like now they go to school to do back then. Wasn't no school. School was do it. 
And I got with many painting companies and many, I say companies, these pests used to go out and do army barracks and airplane hangers and high rises. And mm. I started doing all this shit as I'm writing songs and doing shit and trying to make a way in some music out there. And and uh and through this guy that I got to painting with, is how I met my wife. She was my wife then, he was he was married to an Australian girl and she came to visit. And I should take this girl and take her. I got off early. I'd take her around to see Hollywood, take her to the, you know, all around the beaches, just take Venice, just take her everywhere. Drop her off. And, and we just kept in touch. And that was in 84. 88, I came out here. Yeah. I came out here. I just thought, okay, I need a break from LA. I've been running around LA, writing, playing. All my all my boys are hitting. The industry is closed. It wasn't until Michael Jackson put out Beat It that the industry even opened up a little. Michael Jackson stabbed his single handedly, opened up the industry, mm. would, would beat it. Uh, uh, MTV, black people couldn't get on MTV until Michael Jackson put out Beat It because he put Van Halen on the track. Mm. Van Halen was the number one guitarist back then. Yeah. Well, they had to get, well, how are they going to tell him no? Yeah. And Michael coming with all these little movies and stuff. Michael Jackson did all that. They want us to think he was some little rapist little guy. Yeah. People don't understand that Michael Jackson did a lot. And he, and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I respect him, yeah. you know. And, which is something else I didn't even talk about growing up. You know, how many times I've seen the Jackson 5, I used to go see Sly Stone, go see James Brown. I used to go see Isley Brothers, go see Rufus and Chaka Khan. It was, even, it was, it was just Rufus then. She wasn't even Chaka Khan yet. Mm. Rufus, go see, uh, uh, oh, man, I could, on and on, Stevie Wonder, go see Attempts, go see uh, Impressions, go see Curtis Mayfield, go see uh, Isaac Hayes, go see P-Funk when they first hit. Mm. That's when they were like, lock your doors. These wild brothers is coming to town. <laughs> People didn't know what the P-Funk was like because they yeah. weren't no brothers still doing doo-wop. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these guys come to town with all this wild-ass shit on. Yeah. Like, and wearing diapers and shit on stage. What the hell is this? <laughs> lock your doors. You keep, your, keep, your, keep your daughters in the house. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like that. Yeah. But P-Funk was funky. The boots in there was jamming. Yeah. And we used to do that sort of stuff, man. And, Again, man, that and sitting in the jam session, Greg Green. I think I sat in with Greg Green once. Sat in with who with a uh, uh, people like from Funk Incorporated. There's people I don't even know who I was doing back in the days. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to sit in and learn music like that. And and I tell you, when you sat in back then, a drummer got like two beats. When they go one, two, three, four, doom, chikanti. <laughs> That was it. Yeah. And they go, okay, he's cool. Yeah. Even they go, man, get this motherfucker off the stage. <laughs> they would they, they were just like that. And they went there, oh, he's having a go. And they didn't have a go stuff. Yeah. So that's how I ended up in LA. And LA was more of a writing. I yeah, I did a lot of gigs around there, but not like I wanted to. And even like the band I told you Swish, my friends that hit, they had all them platinum albums out, and Motown would not let them tour. They didn't even tour. They just they just put out albums and became hits. Yeah. He went, what, what is, you know? So we ended up doing a lot of that kind of stuff in LA. But uh, of course, yeah, the industry, and plus the industry just closed. 70s was all right, 80s, it closed up. And then I came over here in uh, 88. Mm. After, after I met my wife and well, she's a girl, I only knew her and we kept in touch. And I thought, I'm going to take a break from LA. I said, I think I'm going to take a break from here. I can go back home. I go like, ain't nothing back home. Mm. I said, I think I'm going to go with Australia. 
contact her and see what's in Australia. I don't know what's over here. Just go have a look. Yeah. You know, didn't even know nothing about Australia. Yep. Didn't read about it. I didn't even check up on it. I didn't even research it. I did nothing. I just called and said, hey, I'm coming to Australia. She said, oh, yeah, come on. You're welcome. You can come to Australia. And I bought a ticket. And I came over. And didn't know nobody. When I, when I stepped in, didn't know a soul but her. I got off the plane. That was it. I was like, okay, look at this place. And it was so funny because I didn't know how long, I didn't know how far I was even going. I've been to Europe a few times, you know. But, I, man, I was like, when is this plane going to land? <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. and then I get here and they called it Down Under and then I look it was the funny thing is that she got off my, my wife now Carrie she took me to she picked me up and she said oh I gotta go back to work come with me she just go back because she's a graphic artist she had a place in Surrey Hills she took me back and I, and I walked upstairs and, and the first thing I looked at was a clock and they had this clock that was funny and the clock the numbers went backwards like yeah. 12 and one, two, three went the opposite way. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> you thought the time went backwards. <laughs> I, I thought the time went backwards. I went, oh, oh no, even the time is backwards over here. <laughs> I did. And I didn't know they were just like a little mock thing, you know, just, you know. Yeah. But I didn't know. I said, oh man, I didn't say nothing. I go, like, wow. This is a different, that was like a weird, <laughs> this weird place, man. Oh, man. I thought, what is this? Yeah. And people were talking like pirate. I went like, hey, Chuba Hoy, mate, mate. I went, oh, man, where am I? Yeah. I didn't know where I was. Yeah. I was like, this is a different place here. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. As you know, the Gig Life Podcast is free. You don't have to pay anything ever. But if you find the value in the Gig Life Podcast, you can donate or leave a tip. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com, click on that donate button, and give as little or as much as you like, and just know that anything you give will go back into creating great content for this podcast. All right, back to the episode. But I said, here I am. Let me see. Let me dive in and see what's happening. And then I, uh, she to drop me. My wife. It was a place called Drum City. Yep. You know, Drum City used to be on City Road. Yep. Mike Lynch mm-hmm. used to used to be the drummer, the guy that owned it. Yep. And I walked in there one day, a few days after I was here, and he said, "Oh, you know, where you from? So from the states. I just got here from the states. I was talking to him. He goes, "Well, man, I got a, I got a, I got a drum kit always set up back there. Anytime you want to come have a play." You just come. You can practice anytime you want to here. I said, thanks. So my wife would get up in the morning and go to work. And she was in Surrey Hills. That was mm-hmm. a city road. Yeah. She could drop me off at, yeah. there. And I'd drop off there and I would play drums and meet cats, come through the door. And one of the cats I met was uh, Philippe Lindsay. Philippe Lindsay, uh, he's a percussionist. Back then, Philippe was like, this is the 80, 88, 80, 88. And when we see back then, Jimmy's and Doom Dooms and stuff weren't even in Australia. He was he was doing it. Mm-hmm. He was doing Jimby, Doom Doom. He was with a girl named Janine Clays, which is an older lady. Janine was, she was like a African, she was white, first white African dancer in Paris to even hit big. Mm-hmm. And the Guineans recognized her because she loved she was the Guinea, learned from the Guineans. So he was with, they came over here and they thought, we can bring this stuff over here. 
And that was their thing. They thought they can bring it over here, which eventually, you know, you see Jimmy's end up taking over one time. Yeah. But back then, there was no Jimmy's, no Doom Dooms, none of that shit here. And uh, Fleet well, came in and heard me playing one time. You from the States? You from the States? Because he got a very French French. <laughs> yeah, yes, man, I'm from America. Yeah, can you play 6-8? I go, yeah, I can play 6-8, you know. I'm playing jazz and play some 6-8. So he had, you see, so he had Janine come and watch me play. And they said, okay. So they were doing all these African dance classes and all these ballet classes, African ballet, at Bondi Beach back then. That's when the pavilion was like, yeah. we used to have a storage room there. You could just park your car right in front of the pavilion yeah. all day long back in them days. And and uh, and uh he said, okay, man, you play drum kit. I'm going to show you how to play these doom dooms. So we started playing doom dooms. I started learning all the, all the West African rhythms, you know, you know, which is fuba, you know, Kakalimbi, Cuckoo, Sole, Sosini. See all these names, all these all the, all the African all the African rhythms got names. Mm. And he then I started learning all these all the African rhythms with him and she ran these dance classes. And I did this for, for, for like months. I did it for a long time. We we formed a group called Doom Doomba, mm. which he still goes today in school. It's called Doom Doomba. And then me, him and Yao Gliman. No Yao? Yao. Yeah. Me, him and Yao started doing a band, Doom Doomba. And then uh, another friend of ours came over from Paris, coming from Japan then, Japan. Then his name was Zip back then. His name was Yashe. Yashe now has quite a few hits out on his name, Yashe. Yashe Rayner. And Yashe started playing Jimmy with us. And another guy named Steve Nugent. And we had this African band. We used to do ballets and do African stuff and do this kind of stuff around Sydney. This was like back in the 80s when nobody even had heard of this stuff. Mm. We did that. And one day I was walking down downtown, it was be Brashes or something. It was down in the city, I forget, down there, round by, round by uh, 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 Victoria Building. There was a Brashes or something around there. It's to sell records and sell stuff. They had music upstairs. And I went upstairs, and I'm looking through stuff, and this little guy come to me, hey, who are you? I go, I'm Calvin, who are you? I'm Rocco. Rocco, Rocco was a keyboard player. And had, he, was, he was like Italian. He had that Italian hair down, you know. I used to call him Gino Vanelli. Because he, <laughs> he had that, he, you know. Did he had the curly. The oh, curly yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and he was short. Yeah. He was like Gino Vanelli to me. I said, Gino Vanelli. <laughs> and Rocco playing keyboard. He goes, man. And he started talking to me. He goes, how long you been here? He said, man, I know another brother in town. I said, I said who is that? He said, you know Craig Calhoun? I go, no, I don't know. I, I don't know him. He said, okay, I'll give you his number. He gave me Craig's number. It was on my birthday that year. I mean, it was on my birthday, July 22nd. I called Craig up. Craig was in, it was in a holiday with his wife in the Gold Coast or something. And I talked to him. He said, okay, I'll come back. And when he came back, he hooked me up with Kevin Borch. Craig was up going up with Kevin Borch, and Kevin Borch needed a drummer. Mm. His son was playing drums, and Kevin needed a drummer. So Craig got me doing rehearsal with Kevin. And me and Kevin and Craig went out and we did, and we started doing Kevin Borge and the Brothers of Oz. That's where the Brothers of Oz yeah, came from. Right. Kevin always been in Kevin Borge Express. That's the only time he yeah. ever changed his name to the Brothers of Oz. Right. Kevin Borge and the Brothers of Oz. Right. And we started, and I, and I used to go out with Kevin Borge. I did that for, Craig stopped it about three years after I was with him. I stayed, I'm going to stay with Kevin about four years or so, maybe longer than that. And with Kevin, see, he would hook up with uh, Renee Gayer. 
yeah. do a tour. Yeah. Hook up Mark Hunter and do a tour. Right. They did so tours was, was like Harry, that. Did Harry Bruce come in after? Harry, Harry. After Craig. I met, I met Harry. I met Harry. I used to go jam at Harry. He used to have a little house. And Harry used to like have everything. Just like he did the same thing now in his basement, in his garage. Yeah. Always yeah. got stuff set up, recording everybody, doing everything. Yeah. Getting you to play his stuff, doing <laughs> stuff. And for now, he didn't mix with Elm Rock, mix some stuff out. And he got an album. Nobody even know that Harry would record and made all this stuff. <laughs> he the same way today. Yeah. He ain't yeah. changed. Yeah. I, and I met Harry, we used to go to this house and play over this house all the time and practice. He me, him and John Watson. You know Waddle? Yeah. Yep, Waddle. Waddle was still living here then. Yeah. He wasn't even with Vicky Linda then. He's, he had another girl. Yep. Another married girl he used to be with back then. I can't think of her name. I remember her. Remember her face. I think of the area in a minute. We used to go there and we used to like practice, practice, everybody play, play, practice. It was just like a band house. And yeah. Harry had this band house. Yeah. I did a lot with Harry with that. When I played with when I played with uh with Kevin, it was uh, wasn't Craig. It was Michael Deep. Michael Deep don't even play bass anymore. I don't think he had something happen to him. Mm. Uh, uh, the other guy just died, lived in Tassie. Uh, so Kevin, I was doing a gig with Kevin once, and and we're doing this gig, and Paul Christie had to take come play bass. I don't know who Paul Christie was back then, but Paul Christie is he's the Party Boys. That was him. And they had out, who's going to step on you again? They had all these hits out and all this stuff out. And Kevin was like one of the main cats in the party boys. Like, the one because they always had a bunch of the, all the all the names and Australian rock they put together yep. and do these tours. Yep. Of course, of the party boys. And Kevin was one of the main ones in there. Yep. And Paul Christie. And, and uh, I did one, and Paul did one. He goes, man, we get ready to do this tour. It's 89. He said, you want to uh, you wanna go out on this tour with us? I go, yeah, I'll go do a tour with you. I mean, I don't know. It's okay. And the tour was with Joe Welsh from the Eagles. Right. So we're doing this tour with Joe. Yeah. I got my, one day my phone rang. Hello, is this Cal? <laughs> yes, it's Cal. This is Joe. I hear you're going to be the drummer. You know, it's another another American, you know, Joe. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah, Joe. And okay. But uh, I knew a Joe, not only through the Eagles. See, I knew a Joe before that because he had like... He had like Funk Forty Nine. He had uh, he had these tracks out. He's from Ohio. Joe had hit. Well, Joe was already hit before he got with the Eagles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. And I knew him from them days, and but he was the Eagles, and now he Joe's coming out, and you know, and we uh, I'm doing this too with Joe and the Party Boys, and uh, and then, but Paul was cool. But Paul also ran across these three guys named Hamish, Angus, and and something Ferguson. These three three guys. It was like. I still touch touch of one of them and today. I'm still in touch of one of them, mm. and they were like, uh, he caught them singing in the car parking lot, and they were like practicing for they go on stage. These three family brothers, and he got them to do background. One played acoustic, one one played guitar. He got them to do backing vocals. He got me on drums. He got Kevin, and he took out this this show with Joe Welsh, and those boys had such good harmonies that we were doing like all the eagle stuff, doing all this shit. And uh, and I tell this story because the main thing about Joe, when I first first met Joe Good, Joe came to rehearsal, and we get to rehearsal and we got there, and Joe said, uh, "All right, all right, y'all, you know, all right, y'all." You know, Joe looking all you know people think he's like crazy <laughs> and stuff. Joe yeah. go, uh, "Did y'all learn the songs?" He go, "Yeah, yeah, we know them, we learn them, we know them." Joe said, "Oh yeah, okay, now that you learn them." I'm going to show you how to play them. Because, <laughs> see, I want y'all to know, 
I ain't no cover. I'm the real deal. <laughs> and I'm when, cat, eh? Oh, when he finished, he meant it. Yeah. When he finished, yeah. when you finished playing them songs with him, you sound like the Eagles. Mm. You sound just the way they blow the songs through the air, just like stadium rock. Yeah. That's what he knew. He knew stadium rock. Yeah. So he could take that shit and take it one level, another level, another level. You know, all of a sudden the song just goes through the roof. He knew how to bring the right power chords in, the right time, when to build it, when to do this. He knew, like, when he said was the real deal, when you finish the song, you go like, shit. <laughs> like, yeah. it was big. Yeah. He, that's the way he is. He yeah. was the real deal. Yeah. You wasn't no humble pie. Mm. Now that y'all learn them, I'm going to show you how to play them. Yeah. I'm Joe Welsh. I'm the real deal. <laughs> I ain't no cover. Yeah. It was so good. And that's when I started doing the, the rock scene around here and doing stuff going. And then back, or, and then back then, you know, you run out, you run into you know, Angels, you run into Rose Tattoo, right. you run Jenny Morris was hitting back then a little yep. bit, Jenny and Victor and yep. Sunil and them. Jenny Morris was hitting and and uh, who else was hitting around here? I don't know, Screaming Jets or, yep. you know, you run into all, so everybody be in the road, you know, and you would, when they finished their gigs, which is again, healthy this music scene was back then, we all could be three or four or five of us could be in Melbourne and everybody got crowds. Yep. After the gig, it was somehow we all end up in some club or some party or somewhere and the cast would be hanging out talking about the gig and drinking and just, you know, kicking it like they do because they knew each other for years. Yep. And the scene was just like that. That was the pub rock scene. Yep. And I was lucky that I got, I, I hit those last four years or so of the pub rock scene. Well, you know, I mean, own drum tech, had own drum techs back then, you know. Yeah. Guys look after your drum kit, you know, especially buying a bag of weed or something, buying a bag of weed or something. Man, he posh your symbols, da-da, look after your kit. You know, if I had a gig in the, in the city, I could call him up on the cross or something. So you see the cross, because the cross was, that was the, that yeah. was the place. Yeah. Little gig, he would, it would, it would bring my kit to the cross for me, you know, stuff like that. These cats were like, you you know, you flew from place to place, and and and, and when you and when you got there, they just they, they would just hand you drumsticks on the way out. Everything was set. Mm. You just walk off a sound check. We had road crews and stuff back then. You know that. You know that's dead. You know they ain't yeah. even like that's like what road what what yeah. kind of crew? Yeah. Now even 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 in good gigs you carry you you still got to carry your own gear. Yeah. Not had road crews and everything. You know Kevin's even doing this stuff. Kevin got a little trailer. I see Kevin. Kevin got a. His station wagon in the trailer and Kevin lugging his stuff around. I see Kevin doing that stuff. Even today, I see Kevin Borge doing that. Mm. But that's how it was back then. It was it was a, a eye-opener. And I started doing that scene. Then, uh, of course, as it went on, I started doing, started meeting some of the jazz cats. You know, meeting some of the cats. Do, and that's how I got with, you know, with uh, Professor Groove. Mm. We are doing Craig. We started doing the Brothers of Oz, mm. which is, you know, that you, which, you which did, kept you going. You did Swoop first before. I did Swoop. Yeah, I did swoop. Yeah. I did Professor Groove, then swoop. Yeah, and I did swoop. I did the album with them. I did swoop. The Professor Groove, uh, the Brothers of Oz actually was before that. We did the Brothers of Oz before that. We should do like Round Midnight. Yeah, all those places and and and, and, uh, and uh, the Cross. Yeah, when the Cross was had, you know, Cardoma had Cardoma was there. Uh, with Springfield used to be the used to be something else with Springfield's when I got here. The All Nations Club. There was all these, there was all these, all these, all these, the cross was just like, you know, 
just just go to a club. Just go to the cross. And there was music, clubs to go to all night long. And another thing, how they can make something seem like it's so bad when really it's healthy. Because as long as there's people and there was stuff around, really nothing could happen to you. Yeah. But they want to make it like it's such a bad place, all these drugs and all this sort of stuff. Well, unless you was into drugs, you didn't even see it. Mm. But they wanted to make it like that. And, mm. You know, and all the hookers that used to be on William Street, which is people you know, people missed it, but that was like the beautiful eye candy in the world. You ride down the street and all these old girls be dressed up. They were just hookers dressed up. And like just like in a row to hold down the whole William Street. Mm. And you'd be like, yeah, look at this. And then driving the cross and it'd be like ants. Yeah, <laughs> people like jamming and doing stuff and playing. Yeah, you couldn't get hurt. Nothing could happen to you. Yeah, they just had a city plan, I think, and knew that that was like big, big property back then. They had to like some way find a way to get rid of all that, and they did eventually. But it was nothing like they promoted it to be. It was a real healthy place, a real healthy scene. But that, but that's that's sort of my, you know, some stuff how I got here and started getting right here. And of course, I started doing Dale Barlow and. You play him. I think I went to South Africa with Del Barlow. Me, Del Barlow, Guy Strazulo, and Matthew Doyle on Didge. We toured South Africa when, when, when Mandela was in office. Mm. And that was the first place I'd ever been in my life where people loved their president or their prime minister, whatever they call him over there. I'd never been in a place like that. You get there and you, and we're staying in Petora. That's the capital. That's where, yeah. that's where we were, we in Petora. And we, and we, and we, uh, Get out, and first thing I did was the guy, little young guy, grabbed my gear and took it up to the my, my room, and, you know, he gave a little ring, gave some change, and I go, man, you know, how is it over here, man? Because, you know, we grew up, you know, again, you don't play Southern City. You don't mess with South Africa. He go, man, since my dad's in the office, man, I could never even do this job. I couldn't do this. Oh, shit, okay, cool. We get in our car, we riding around, and, and they'd they be selling, like, there's box trays of fruit and stuff, mm. black people on the side of the road. I mean, look at, I mean, look at, fresh, good fruit. You go like, man, give me, give me one. So, man, what, what is it? Man, do you know I could never do this until Mandela got in office? Mm. I could never go out and do this sort of stuff. Okay, cool. Um, I remember going to Sun City. We stopped inside the road. There was like a little market road, side of the road, buying stuff. And I went to this, to this African lady, and she was selling jewelry and selling stuff, you know, African stuff. I talked to her, same thing. Man, I couldn't do this till Mandela got in office. None of this. And then what people don't realize that, that because we were, we were there, we went, we actually went over there because Australia and and, uh, and and South Africa was starting this sort of like a trade thing. Mm. And at that time, it was, uh, he just died recently too. He was over the over the National Party back then. And uh, we went to go play for a party, for the for the for the country, for the state, for because that for that party, you know, they had a party, and we did that. And off that, we did some tours, and we did some 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 uh, uh some schools. We did like university in in uh in Soweto, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, uh you know college university. Go play for them, show them some stuff, and we did that. And uh, uh and I'm saying, and and of course, there were the white white people that's touring us. It got us over there for you know, cause this is through, you know through the through the Australia you know government, mm. and a uh, lady she's a lady, and I was talking to her and she said you know Calvin you know, uh, uh, it was white male dominated 
South Africa, she said, we never, we, we never had women rights, yeah. white people, white and females until Mandela got in office. Yeah. And you're hearing all this about Mandela the whole time you're there, man. You just go like, I'm telling you, when you left South Africa, you were on a high mm. off Mandela. Yeah. Just being president right. of a country. People loving their president. You and like, all of a sudden, you just like, it's like you woke up. It's like you realized that, wow, man, I ain't never been in a place like this. Mm. People love their prime minister, love their president. So, yeah, so I did that with Dale. I learned to play with Dale Barlow and Dasha Strula. I was doing, uh, who else I played with jazz cast back then? Uh, I don't know. I just got into the little jazz scene, started... I mean, I never became one of the jazz cats, because yeah. <laughs> uh, they all, you know, servitorium, all that sort of stuff. Mm. I didn't, I'm self-taught, mm. but I learned how to play jazz from jazz players yeah. and live. Yeah. So I knew all the tracks, I knew all them songs, knew all that sort of stuff. But uh, Suit Plus, Suit Plus was big back then. The Real Al Cafe was big back then for the jazz scene. I used to go down and play down there. Little little people would play down Kathy Harley. She's an Australian girl. She's in New York now. Adam Armstrong was a double bass player in New York now. He played with Daryl Barlow and played people around. Carl Orr, which you know, Carl Orr left here and played with Billy Cobham mm-hmm. and stuff, but he's over in uh, England now. Carl is pretty, you know, he does a lot of, he does a lot of stuff in England. Yeah. Always at, all, always at Ronnie Scott's, which is the jazz club yeah. of the, of England, of yeah. Europe, damn near. So he's over there doing that all the time. Carl Orr, Steve Hunter, uh, you know, just I don't know, man. I got into doing that stuff, and then I got to doing the funk scene. And but, but to me, it was no different than how I grew up because how I grew up, you had to play jazz, blues, funk, soul, R&B. Yeah. If you didn't play all of it, you didn't get a gig. You wasn't a jazz player. You wasn't a funk player. You wasn't a. Them days were gone when I grew up. You know, maybe it was before me. But when I grew up, you had to play everything mm-hmm. and get a get a job because that's the kind of stuff you play at the clubs. People come to the clubs, they expect you to hear everything. They didn't want you to hear R and B all night. They want to hear that latest jam by 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 Grover Washington. Yeah. They want to hear that latest jam by Earth Wind and Fire. They want to hear that latest jam by by John Lee Hooker. Yeah. They want to hear, and this is how you pump out songs and you at the club. That was a school in itself. That was a whole school in itself. They want to hear Stevie. They want to turn around. They want to turn around and hear Smokey Robinson and the Temps. Then they want to turn around and hear, you know, Weather Report. Yeah. That Weather Report jam is hitting. Man, that Weather Jam is, man, play, man, play that Weather Report jam. Oh, man. <laughs> and people used to dance when the band we playing and, and sit down when the DJ came on. Yeah. yeah. Opposite. Yeah. That's how it was when I grew up. I don't know, Steve. I'm just rambling my mouth, man. Oh, I can awesome. tell you. Huh? Great. That's great. <laughs> Let's um, yeah. So I'm sure that's continued. You know, through the '90s, 2000s. Let's fast forward now to, well, for me, 2011, and I got a, I was pl- playing in a band called The Company. Yeah, you know, you remember The Company? Yep. And um, I got a call one day from from Tim, Tim Hong, my partner. Yeah. Still partners. Yeah. So hey man, I'm Tim and um we have a company called IHearMusic.com. And what we do is we we promote bands and we take your music and we, we put it on our site and we you know, sell it as an alternative to iTunes and, and stuff like that. Um 
But what we also do is we put these showcases on at the basement. And Tim said, oh, we're interested in you guys. And I'm like, fuck, really? How'd you, how'd you get my number? Like, <laughs> So anyway, you'd obviously <laughs> sussed out who we were at the time. And um, so we got invited down uh, to the basement. Um, it was myself and Gino, one of the other guys from the band. And it was the month before we were supposed to go on. And, um, you know, we got greeted at the door by you guys, yourself and Tim, and, hey, come in. You know, it's like we were bloody rock stars or something. Come and sit down, you have were. a seat. Have a seat. And there's little little cards on the table that was promoting the show this week, uh, this month, but also next month. Yeah. And there, were, there we were, photo of us on this card, you know. <laughs> Me and Gino were like, man, check this out, you know. <laughs> and it was great. And then yeah, um, up to that point, I'd never played – at the basement, and um, I may have told the story before on the podcast, but when I first came to Australia, it was was the first year I was here. Me and my mate went into town, and we we it was the around the time of the Sydney Festival, around January, I think it was, and um, we knew Billy Cobham was in town. So this was uh, this was nineteen ninety five. Yeah. Billy Cobham was in town. I remember I went there. I was there. Yeah. So <laughs> me and my mate said, oh, let's, um, let's go there. Well, well, we've got tickets, bro. We, <laughs> what are we going to do? So how about we, we – so we went round to the side and we sat on the steps and uh, um, this car rocks up. This entourage gets out and Billy Cobham walks out, walks out of the <laughs> – starts walking down the steps and we're like, hey, man, can we come in? <laughs> and he goes, have you got a ticket? I said, no. Nah. <laughs> he goes – we're not fucking coming in. And he walked to close the door. And <laughs> But anyway, from that point on, I, I'd always I always wanted to play at the basement. And, um, yeah, fast forward to 2011, getting that invitation to come and play. That following month, we, we ended up playing our showcase there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, IHearMusic.com. How did, how did that start? How did that come oh, about? You know, me and Tim used to talk about music because – you know, and, and another long story short, I used to go out with uh, with this band called uh, 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 Philadelphia Grand Jury. And they were all over England, all over, we toured all over UK, in the, some of the states, South Africa, did a few things. But you know, uh, people didn't, which y'all didn't, people would, y'all would never know, but they have all these festivals uh, around Europe in, in the summertime. And these festivals, Australia would like be in these festivals, pe- bands from Australia. Mm. And they would get grants and stuff to do this stuff. So anyway, every time I do them, I never seen an Aboriginal band. I never seen, it was always the same indie rock bands, the same ones. Mm. I won't say their names. <laughs> But the same sort of indie rock scene. Not that it was bad or nothing against them. Nothing against them at all. But you're going, yeah, but what's the diversity of Australia? Mm. Like, I know cats that play reggae, cats that play African music, mm. Middle Eastern music, jazz, funk. I know. I just knew, you know, being a musician. I was like, wait a minute. We know too many people that play all this music. Mm. So me and Tim... Got together. At that point, we were talking to uh, the guy over. I uh, just uh, 
had a fashion fashion design. He was fashion models. Uh, I can't think of the name of his company. Yeah. But you now we were doing that, and we were talking to him and trying to get something going. Thinking, let's start a let's start an online music store. Let's start an online music store to sell and promote only Australian artists. Mm. I said because we thought, see, the, the World Wide Web doesn't belong to iTunes. It's the World Wide Web. Yeah. So if people would look into a site that only had Australian artists and realize that there's all this music in Australia, yeah. besides indie rock and country or whatever it is that they sell overseas as to what Australia is, there might be a chance of, you know, Australian artists being seen overseas yep. or getting some kind of connection. Just something could happen for them. Not only that, maybe we can find a way to pay them more money mm. for for their sales. You know, uh, take a little bit so we can keep it running. Of course. We wasn't trying to make money. Never Matter of fact, I lost so much money in there. We still got it going. We still got some plans and some other things. Cool. When I say lost, not really lost. I threw in so many, so many uh, showcase nights and artists would show up and didn't do nothing, didn't, mm. when, you know, they just didn't get the concept we were, we were talking about. Mm. And I would still pay them. Mm. I, my, they didn't make no money, I would go, here, I got some, here. Money out my account, here, man, here's some money in your pocket. Just because I wonder, you know, if you leave here with nothing, thinking I maybe I ripped you off or maybe I didn't want I don't know. Mm. But anyway, but, but we started ourheadmusic.com and we still got ourheadmusic.com yeah. and people still going there today Diehards that like to buy records yeah. and, and downloads where they can own them because cause, uh, because of stream, live streaming, you never own them. Yeah. People realize that once you quit paying the bill, That's right. your, your whole, your whole, your, your whole, your, library's gone. your whole library's gone. Yep. So it's, it's, it's like what it's getting to now. All you do is you pay, 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 but you don't own. Or you're just renting it really. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, and, and so me and Tim, that's how we got together and we, and, and, uh, we got with some people that helped us uh, uh, put the site together, helped us, you know, so to run correctly, help, you know, people can go in and just like iTunes or something. Yeah. We thought they don't, they're not the only ones who can do this. I mean, like, how come we got to suffer? How come we got to be like, you know, bow down to these people that tell us what to do? And that's mm. what's happening now. Now, now, now they tell us what to do again. It's live stream. It's like, yeah. don't put out CDs, just put singles out, you know, it's live streaming. Wait a minute, how y'all dictate? how we should do, and we're the ones spending our money, mm. you know, making these albums and putting this stuff out, and y'all just take them and make money off us and pay us peanuts. Like, there have to be a way, well, for us to be in control of our destiny. Mm-hmm. Not for y'all, and that's how I always feel about iTunes and all those kind of stuff. I said, them big boys don't give a shit about us. And the reason you know they don't, if you go in there and try to find your, you have to be hard finding your stuff in there. You can find Beyonce. Mm. You can find anybody else big, mm. but let you try to find your music yeah. on iTunes. <laughs> yep. You know, and 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 uh, so we thought we'd get together and start a live streaming company, and then we said we'll go beyond that. Not only that, we'll we'll put it up and try to promote it, and don't put no advertising. Yeah. You know what, like you know your song come up and they go like, you know, buy a Toyota, <laughs> or something come across. You know, yeah. or just you know, there's, there's all kind of. You know, this happening, or you can, you can, you know, hot dog stands, or I don't yeah. know, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, you know, you go through all that. We got no advertising on it, no nothing. There's a little thing tells. We we'll talk about the artists. 
where they're from, what the album's about, and here's a here's a song you can download them, you know. Uh, not only that, uh, maybe once a month, you know, twice or once a month we would should do a live showcase. You can mm. go actually go see this artist live, yeah. and then we would, we would promote the artist selling their li- selling their selling their CDs, set a CD booth up for them. Yeah. Would even sell them for them. So see, we weren't trying to like just come by moves from us. No, 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 no. It's about this artist. Mm. It's Australian artists that y'all need to know that there's Australian music over here. And we call it Australian music because now we all live here. And 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 soon you get soon I get you get three African boys, you grab an Australian boy and then grab a boy that's Greek background and you call it African music. Well it's 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 now it's in the mix. Mm. It ain't straight out of Africa. It's Australian music. We're yeah. all here. Yep. So I thought, and we all, and so we tried hard to push something like that. And uh, the, only, the only thing we catch it, caught it with, which is actually musicians hurting themselves. They didn't understand a concept. Mm. You know, I would go on a lot of them's website and they would have, uh, buy my music on iTunes, buy yep. my music on this, buy yep. my music on that, buy my music on this. And they would never even mention, yeah, I hear music. Yeah, not even the option, and I'm like, uh, "See, we don't want monopoly. That wasn't that just us. If you're gonna sell jeans, put my Calvin Klein put his jeans in everybody's shop. Mm. He don't say buy my jeans at this shop. Mm. He say Calvin Klein jeans. Go out to all the stores that got, and you will see Calvin Klein jeans, and yeah. you can buy them. Yeah, and you wouldn't even put it up there and give you that option. Yeah, for them to go here, but and then I would get them to do showcase nights, and they would just show up. I go like, you didn't tell nobody? Do you know what a showcase is? Mm. That means like, this is your time, you got an hour mm. to showcase your music to whoever you invite. You didn't invite nobody to the gig <laughs> to see your music? And see, it's beyond them, because if they ever go to places like LA and New York yeah. and places where they do showcases, if you don't invite people, yeah. nobody comes and nobody see you. And there, when they do them, believe me, they got record reps, they got writers, they got they got uh, 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 radio presenters, yep. they got everybody they can get at their showcases. Yeah, when they're trying to showcase a new band, trying to showcase the material, and that's, it's like that even today. Yeah, and I go like, but you didn't invite nobody, you didn't yeah. bring nobody, you didn't tell nobody that they come, and and it's over with. It's like, and then you get one band that would do it and bring people, another band bring nobody. Yeah, but then you now you want half the door. <laughs> I know. I know that when we got invited, it was at, at it was the biggest thing for us. We were so we were so lifted by it. We promoted the fuck out of it. Eh? We've still got the I Hear Music links on our Facebook page to the music. Um, right on. I was just trying to I was trying to find the exact date um, today. Going back through our Facebook page of when we it was the twentieth of. 20th of December 2011, that was the night, the night of the showcase. And then going back through there and we just, like, we were posting every day about it. You know? <laughs> we got a bunch of people to come yeah. along and it was just, yeah. It was just, yeah but even today, awesome. I still think the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't changed my mind today. Yeah. Me and Tim have been sitting around, we let it go dead for, what sort of dead for a while, but mm. we're getting ready to try to bring out some other stuff and we're going to cool. do something because he live streaming is not right. Yep. Uh, everybody... Now, I mean, now you can't even go on the road and sell CDs to help pay for your petrol mm. because they got everybody thinking that all they all they can do is just live stream your music and and you know and you go like but 
the punters, we gotta let the punters know that you're not owning nothing. Mm. So there's a way to get punters to start buying that music again and mm. knowing that what you buy, what you streaming, you can eventually own. Yeah. There's a way to do something. And we're working on a thing now. Cool. And I'll do the same thing again. I did the basement, I did Blue Beat, and I did Lazy Bones as yep. far as far as our live shows. I promoted shows all them years. Yep. And and and, and put money into it. And not only that, I mean Artwork, the uh, the uh, the graphics, the printer, mm. everything I did, posters, mm. everything yep. I did, I paid for. Mm. I never asked nobody for nothing. Yep. I did it all. And not that I want to credit anything for that, but just saying how they really did not understand that, you know, I'm doing, now when you do this, it's going to cost you money yeah, to do right. any of this. And I've been telling you to come do this and I'm doing everything. And I was seeing you everything to send out to your people yeah. and you still do nothing. Yeah. And you still don't want to advertise to buy your music over there. We just thought, wow, you know, it's really something. I only got one artist now. I got one artist now, a guy on my site. It's fine. He's still in our here music. And he probably sells, you know, at least four or five singles a day. Wow. Every day. He sells about, you know, two or three albums a month. Right now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, right now. I got one artist that fantastic. does that right now. Every every now and again, I just ring up and say, hey, man, here's some money. Cool. I got some money for you. <laughs> you know? Here's some money for you. Oh, man, thanks. I got one. I got an artist that does that now. And and, and lately, I've had a few sales of people that I just go like, wow. Well, maybe, maybe, it made me think that maybe, maybe, maybe people are, maybe they're going to realize that you're not owning nothing. Mm. But see, they get, it become the norm. Make young kids think it's normal not to own anything. Yeah. You know, like you just pay your own, you know, same thing with, you know, with, with all the programs and stuff now. You can't really, you know, you want to you want to learn all your reverbs, yeah, so, yeah, all, your, right. all, yeah. your, all your, you know, unless you're in the business, you're not going to be trying to, uh, uh, I don't give it a, it ain't, man, man, I made $10 a month. Yeah, yeah. man, but I, I'm not in the business. Yeah. I do this for a hobby. I did my home. I got my home studio. I got to pay this guy $10 a month, this guy $10 a month, this guy $5 a month, this guy. All of a sudden, I'm paying out $50, $60 a month just to have enough stuff, enough, you know, plugins. Well, you've got plugins that you'll never ever use because when you get that subscription, right. you get all of it. And they sell it like that. You get you get $5,000 worth of plugins for them. $40 a month or whatever. Yeah. And you do it. And then you only ever use one or two of them. You don't ever use them. $20 a month. But that, but that's, and $20 a month is $20 a month. Yeah. Because that comes on to something else. Yeah. So your idea of you, you get, you, you, you get, you get the idea that I don't own. That's I just right. rent. Yeah. You know, and, and they try to do the same thing with cars one day. One day there won't be cars. Yeah. You just, as they say about cars showing up. Yeah. To your house, you order a car, but you, as long as you pay a prescription, you can get a car. Once yes. you stop it, you get no more cars. Yeah. You, be, you have to start walking. Makes you think <laughs> about the electric cars, possibly that down the line. You know, they with the software that runs those cars. Um, yeah, you might be. You might be. This may already happen. I don't know. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, yeah, the software to run your car will be a subscription and. Subscription yeah. runs out. Your car stops. Your car stops. <laughs> I'm saying we don't. Man, they they are they are setting us up for yeah. the kill. Yeah, I, I I can see it setting us up for the kill. Yeah, man, they haven't all my lifetime, mm. but one day you can see it. They setting them up for the kill. It's gonna become normal. 
And that's when the rich get richer. And the people that think about the poor, you go like, so, in cashless societies. Yeah. How you not want cash? And y'all want to go for that? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen to homeless? They can't get a bank account. They can't get a credit card. When you're homeless, you know how big homeless going to get? You all you, the movies y'all see with people scrapping around fighting for a piece of bread? Yeah. Mm. That's going to be reality. 100 years from now, it might be reality. Because how can they? Yeah. How can they speak? How can they? They can't even find a dime on the street and go buy a, a, a piece of bread. Yeah. Because money don't mean anything. Yeah. Who's going to take the dollar? Yeah. You can't put change in this man's hat. And he he goes, shit, I'm going to go down the store and buy me a loaf of bread and buy me a ham and buy me a, you know, a, a bottle of, you know, buy me a, anything. Mm. But now, when, when it's cashless, now that homeless guy is just like, finish. Mm. And when that grows and grows and grows, what happens? There's no cash. Mm. I can see that being like a major problem. Honey, yeah, there goes, that bus- goes, there goes busking too, doesn't it? B- busking? Yeah. Going to the, the the little grocery man that used to have his little change. Yeah. Working. yeah. Now you got to have an FPOF machine. Mm. But yet, you know, again, if you ain't got no no car, you can't get vegetables, you can't get nothing. And and, 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 and forget the weed, man. He ain't left passing no weed. <laughs> That's it, <laughs> The dope man, yeah. he's finished. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. probably when they legalize it. Yeah. They were like, wait a minute. Shit, we can air pass weed. And we can charge tax on it. Mm. <laughs> there might be some backdoor to that through that cryptocurrency possibly. Eh? <laughs> yeah. There got to be something. Yeah. But it's so funny. I go like, and people are really like, and they're almost doing it. It's almost like people are actually almost thinking like, yeah, man, cash. You know, yeah, the cat, just use your card. Man, I, I want cash. Man, I like to put some money out and buy things. Yeah. And spend money on in little small shops and little things and get a corner store money because small, small business. Yeah. I like supporting some small business and giving them money. You know, and that's changing, man. Wake up next day, he can, you know. It's, fun, like, it's funny because when you've got, well, for me, like I, I, um, I use my card for most things. But when I do get cash, it goes into that little part of my wallet. And when it comes time to <laughs> pay for something, it's like cash or card. And I have a look and I see what I'm buying. Oh, nah, I'm going to keep my cash. <laughs> use my card. It's like the cash is this little bit of extra value, eh? But you don't want to use it for everything. <laughs> no, I'll just tap I'll just tap for Not this. for everything. I got, yeah, I got yeah. a cash card. <laughs> I got, I've got cash the same way. i got like cash or card. Wait a minute. Yeah. Petrol, but I do, you know. But then, you know, but then I go buy a six pack and buy chips. I go do That's something. It. I do, I do little things. I spend cash or, yeah. or go down and buy my baby. Go buy something to eat or something one night. And then yeah. my wife or somebody will go out to dinner. I pay them cash. That easy to split. The yeah. Bill I, there, I, yeah, I, I even do it for my, you know, when I get stuff fixed in my car. If I got the cash in my pocket, yeah, I give my mechanic cash. That's it. Yeah. You know, you know, a little young guy. He said like, he finally got cash and everybody's giving him F-pops. Cow, I go, man, I got some cash. He look at me like, oh, you kidding me? Cash? Yeah. Yeah, man. Here's some cash. Yeah, go buy your weed, man. Yeah, go buy some weed. <laughs> <laughs> go buy some weed. Yeah. You get some weed in the mouth. Because you can't, you can't air pause it. Yeah. I'm it. sorry. You can't air pause it. That's it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, let's that's talk- how I hear me. That's how me and Tim got that started. Yeah. 
Yeah, and doing uh doing and doing showcase nights and and uh again and 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 we had some really good nights, really big nights. We we put and then we would do like a what we should call collaborate, and we would uh at the end of the night we let artists like collaborate and do maybe do something that they we didn't care what they did. They could take a song and take a country song and funk it up, take a funk song and country it up. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. care what they did, but it'd be something that the audience never ever would ever see again unless you were there. You know, and we should do that, and and, and you know, and you know, and just like and just and just try to sell shows and try to sell where people will actually come out and and be entertained. And I used to run the nights like that. I I, I would compare the nights and talk on the microphone and yep. you know and, and introduce the bands and yep. say stuff because that woman to know you didn't just come in here to a band like you just come in the club and a band player. No, you actually coming to a show. Yeah, well, we were, is, we were this, part of one of the we were one of the yeah, nights. This is a show. Yeah, yeah, this is a show, y'all. This is like come out and be part of a show, mm. and and not only a show, Australian show, Australian music, Australian artists, you know, and 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 you know, and come on, this is this is what it's all about. Mm. But you know, see, I told you, I told you, the artists shoot themselves in the foot. They go like, they just they didn't know how to. Mm. Maybe maybe they thought I was gonna make some money or something. I'm spending money. I'm not making money, y'all. Like, I don't know what you thought. But yet, the concept, even like now, even with the streaming companies, if you don't put on your website that to buy your music on there, nobody's ever going to not look on iTunes for your music that's or right. look on streaming company for your music. That's right. Because you didn't tell them. Yeah. So you think that's any different than saying that you bought it from I Hear Music? Mm. Don't you realize that they are getting the best free promotion that they ever can get? And you're helping them, mm. but yet you don't want to help the small man, but yet you want to talk about this big man like he's not realizing, but you don't help the small man, mm. which is trying to help you. And that don't mean don't do both. That just mean help him too. Yeah. You know, go to the go to go to the corner store and give him a little bit of your money too. Don't just give it to Woolworths and Coles. Yeah. You know, go to that corner man and say, man, you 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 working hard down here, man. Buy some tomatoes from you today. So what, it costs me 50 cents more? You can have it because I'm going home. Cook. And all that, they're fresh and they're ripe and they look good. Mm. I like the way they look in your store. Mm. Let me get some tomatoes from you today. Mm. I ain't got to go down to Woolies and buy them ones that look like they have. They ain't even red yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're talking about the fresh. And I'm going to give you my cash. Yeah, the fresh food people, yeah. You're going to have my cash. Yeah. <laughs> um, Arabesque. Oh, Arabesque. Yeah. Oh, man, that was a good one. Me and Arabesque, we've been... I was doing a gig with a long story short again. I was doing a gig with another friend of mine here named Aku Kadoga. She's gone now. She uh, Aku was a oh, she was fantastic. Aku was like a, she taught all kind of acting and she did all these one women all these shows and she did a theater and she left here teaching for Wayne State University and chasing over the she's in Atlanta now working for the uh, uh, Black Theater. She's like the the head teacher. Yeah, but Aku was doing her one woman show called. Uh, frenzy, and uh, me, <laughs> Philippe Lindsay, Colin Oxford, and Varen Grigoff, and uh, and I knew Varen from just about the years, but never really played with him. And I knew his brother Mario. His brother's like a pretty big film score in, in the states and uh, Europe now. But uh, we did the show with our coup, and so uh, one day I was doing something, and Varen said, "Calvin, I got this. You know, I got I got, I got this." Is trying to start this band. 
with this guitar player, Rob Shannon was his name. He said, we need a drummer, man. You think you'd be interested in playing? I go, yeah, Varen, I'll come through. I know Varen's like a, he's like, uh, uh, he's like a monster on our oh, violin. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, okay, yeah, I'll come over. And so I brought drum kit over and, you know, I teased him now about, and y'all was auditioning me. <laughs> I said, you know, you and Rob looking like, you know, can he do it? And what, what you think, Rob? Think we should have him? Y'all auditioning me, looking at me like strange, you know? <laughs> so I brought the kid over and we started playing some music. And and uh, we had this bass player named Corey Horwood. That was our first bass player. No bass, no double bass player like him. I don't run across none like him yet in Australia. He had been through con and everything, but Corey never wanted to play all that jazz. Not back then. He just wanted to play double bass. This guy could play Middle Eastern, play Indian, play all this stuff. Just play. He just played a double bass like it was. When he put a bow up, he just go out of nowhere. He just pull a bow, take over a room. He just could do this stuff. So we started playing with these cats. I said, "Wow, I like this." So we used to go practice, like every Tuesday or something. We do this rehearsal and rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And then uh, we got a job. Our first gig, we got a gig down to Opera Bar. And Alfred Bar hired us to come do some work, and we did. Uh, and we started playing down there. And then Vera had to go over to uh, Japan, and me and Rob kept it going. And and uh, but Arabesque and being like it, we thought we named it Arabesque. Rob come with that name. Rob said because he always liked it. Jenga Reinhardt. Jenga Reinhardt always said there was a little bit of Arabesque in his playing. That sort of you know, flair, sort of, and he liked it that. So we called ourselves Arabesque. And we did what we called Gypsy Soul. Uh, we, we used to, uh, uh, meaning that, because, again, we got a mixture. Varen was classically trained, did a lot of stuff. Rob actually was more trained on tablas and Indian instruments, and then he decided to play guitar, pick up guitar. And he was teaching himself how to play guitar, and he just knew that was a... To him, that was like a like a Django style. Was the first mm-hmm. was like a could like an easier style to kind of like jump into jazz with. And Varen, which used to work out with him, and Varen would play all this stuff. And Corey told you Corey played all this. This young boy, he ended up being a nurse and moving to Adelaide. He's a nurse, but he plays so much double bass. And uh, I, I started playing drums, and we started doing uh, we started put, we put out a, put out our first CD, and I and our CD we just it just starts selling. We sold so many CDs, and we ended up getting this big following. We don't know. We don't even know why. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> wow, y'all like this? We don't even know why. But, but, but I think it because not only when the girls really liked that music for reason. Girls like that music, and, and maybe because see how we how we how we do our shows it would end up being almost not like a song. You know, uh, our shows would be like a journey. You know, we would take you, start you here. And by the end of the show, we'll be able to take you through different parts of the world, through the country, mm. take you, you know, back and around again. And all of a sudden, and you sit there and all of a sudden you've been arabesque. Arabesque. That's what we just say. We're going to arabesque you tonight. You're going to be arabesque when you finish this, you finish your journey with us. Awesome. And we used to do these shows. And we started touring Japan a lot. We to Japan about five, six times, been in Japan. Oh man, fantastic gigs over there. We went over there to do this, this uh, uh this uh jazz festival called the Takazuki Jazz Festival. We got lucky and got that through a lady named uh, Cindy Lindbergh. Cindy Lindbergh was working with like Oz, Australian, Japan, or Asia, 
and she was actually uh, uh, bringing artists over. And uh, we got touched with her through through Andre uh, Andro Martinez, yes, yep. because his wife Martinez Production, she was working with Sydney, and said, "Y'all want to go to Japan?" We said, "Yeah," and they had this festival. They were doing called the, she was doing a, with lining with she had a line with a guy that was doing the head of the festival, or to a uh, uh, hero hero was his name, and uh, this festival would go on for like three or four days, and it would draw like three hundred thousand people, and when you went over, he gave us the auditorium, and the auditorium held maybe two thousand plus people or more, and when you finished the show you would almost sell out of CDs. We sold so many CDs. We got, we got, we got followers and fans in Japan. Yeah. But then we should do all this here, here, as far as Australia. We always toured the rural areas. We took our music everywhere, all over the South Coast, all over the North Coast, in the middle. We took our music everywhere, and everywhere we went, because we were only four-piece instrumental band, mm. it was easy for us to set up. I had, I had this... That's the sound system. This is the Airbus sound system. Yep. <laughs> and this little desk. This little yep. desk of, yep. I would take it everywhere. And and every and I don't care what you do. This old limb desk I got, this old limb speakers, sounds like magic. Yeah. yeah old school. Still yep. old, old school. But Van could throw his violin through it. It had reverb and stuff already built in. You can get a sound. We could put the speaker behind us, and we never had to worry about a sound. Mm. And we would go all over Australia with Airbus and sell CDs. We have sold, I think we have sold maybe, I don't know, six, seven, eight boxes of CDs of awesome. each album all over Australia all the time. Never had to worry about paying for our tour, paying for petrol, giving ourselves extra money, putting money in the bank, everything. Right. That besides the gigs, the <laughs> CDs would do all that for us. Right. So Erebus was like, oh, uh, it just, it, and me and Varen are still, we still do it. Rob eventually stopped. Rob uh, moved to Bathurst. He has his family in Bathurst. Last time I went to, I went to Japan, I took Yannick Coffee. I took Chris Frazier last time too, another bass player. Our other bass player left a long time, but we have a few since then. We had James Hazelwood mm-hmm. since then, double bass. John the, we call him John the Bassist. But John, John Maddox sometimes does it with us. Uh, he used to play years ago. He played double bass. Now he got this little bass he plays. Mm-hmm. John Maddox played with us. Uh, Rory Rory Brown used to go out with us. Uh, you know, we'd have been through bass players. It was always our problem. Since when Corey left, couldn't find never could find a bass player. Just wanted to just do it. You know, every we had to keep always had to keep every tour we had to find a bass player. Mm. Find a bass player for every tour. You know, and it hasn't changed. <laughs> Bass players, yeah. but Airbus. It was big Airbus. Yeah, man, Airbus is, and we still today got about three or four CDs out, and 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 we still tour. We've done that since since COVID. Varen's up in, he's living on Magnetic Island, up in the uh, you know north far north Queensland, and he hasn't been back yet. So I got people asking for gigs now, and I can't even I can't yeah. even book them because yeah. I don't I don't have a violinist. I can't I can't book without the violinist. Yeah, yeah. It can't be me and another violinist. <laughs> Only Varen. Yeah. Only Varen. Yeah. Yep. So that's Erebus. I can tell you more about Erebus, but Erebus, we uh we've had so much fun the road playing for yeah. music and taking our music. It's so good when you take your music out and play your own music and people buy it and mm. show up and and I mean everywhere we ever been, 
everywhere Arabic's ever been, we've never had an audience that didn't like us. I would say didn't love us. I told you by the first song to the last song, it's like a it's like, it's like a musical journey. Mm. And that's how those shows have always been. So yeah, Arabist, man. That's about Arabist. That's that that is that is one of our, you know, did nothing. We did no jazz, no blues, no nothing. We just did our own music. Yeah. And ended up being something people like. I was amazed. I'd be amazed. We playing the people out there dancing. You thought we was Prince. Put a Prince hit or something. <laughs> Look out there, people breaking down. I yeah. went like, wait a minute. Not on this. <laughs> I'll be playing. Yeah. I go like, wait a minute. What are y'all doing? Like this? Yeah. I mean, they're like breaking down. You would think we were doing like, you know, cameo or something. <laughs> they'd be breaking down some Arabist jam. You'd be yeah. like, man, I don't believe this. <laughs> so that was Arabist, man. Arabist is uh, yeah, very good, very, very good fun band. I got together with Varen and Rob Shannon and Corey. Oh. I forget what year it was. Well, I think I think now it's been about. 12 years or so, mm. 12 years, 13 years, or it's getting up there. It could be 14 years that, that we've been together. Awesome. Something like that now. Cool. And we never had a we never had a bad run, never had nothing bad ever. We've always had a, a good time, a good run. It's the only band like it is a, just to go out with a band and you ain't got to do covers, you ain't got to do, we do no covers. Yeah. We do maybe one or two. There's no something. vocal, eh? No vocals, yep. no covers, no vocals. Yep. And we can show it with a four-piece and pack a hall <clears throat> and sell CDs and people. And you had thought I told you you thought you had thought Cameo just left the building. <laughs> and we go like we don't believe it. We never yeah, believed it. That's awesome. We never believed it, man. I'll put links <clears throat> in the show notes of this podcast so people can go check it out. Yeah. Um, you're also doing a TV show now on ABC Kids. Yeah, the man. Nanas and the Poppers. <laughs> And then it's funny how that came about. You know, I do this, I do this every now and again. I do this thing with uh, I get a call from Matt Morrison. Matt Morrison is a guitar player, but also a drummer. I think he's from Adelaide. But Matt is John Fields' drummer, John Fields' band. And maybe I thought the years, every now and again, Matt would call me up and go, Calvin. Uh, man, will you, because uh, he could talk another gig, will you do John's gig for me? I go, yeah, man, cool. John only, only, he only does functions and stuff like that. Mm. So it's always good payers. I'm like, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm not going to do John Fields shows. But John Fields also, his brother is, is uh, what's his brother's name? He's the other Fields in the Wiggles. See, the Wiggles, when the original Wiggles, one of them was with Fields. Some of them Fields, and, and Murray, Cook, and, and then there was Wake Up, you know, the, the, the yeah. kind of Asian guy. You know, all of them, they were the Wiggles. But John Fields also was the one that wrote Dorothy the Dinosaur and wrote a lot of those songs for the Wiggles. And John, which I didn't, wasn't too much aware of. I just did John Fields, those function stuff he did. Mm. So uh, one day I get a call from a lady and uh, 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 from a... Uh, Kirkland Moore's production. And she uh she calls me up and she goes, uh, Hello, my name is Marie Kirkland. She said, I got your number from John Fields. I said, Yeah. She said, Well, I'm uh I'm I, she said, I'm trying to do this this uh you know, kids sort of thing, you know, to a kids show. She said, uh, you ever do you know singing or anything like that? I said, No, I'm not really a singer. She said, 
oh, can you think you can sing kids songs? I go, I don't know. I said, what, what is this John got me doing? What is John calling you for? <laughs> what is this? She said, I tell you what, if I sing you some songs, will you meet me out at John's house on a certain date? I go, yeah. She said, you know, Mary had a little lamb. I can, maybe I can say Mary had a little lamb, you know, or something. <laughs> yeah, I can do that, you know, three blind mice. I don't know, whatever. So I meet her out there. And I don't know what they're doing. John is, uh, and told her, because she's doing this thing she's putting together. And I realized that she need, they needed an African-American. It was good to have, uh, that was like, she couldn't find one. Like you go to casting companies, just don't have too many older people on them. And she's, she's trying to think, well, what can I find like an African-American, uh, somebody that might, I can put into this kid show. Oh, so I, I don't even know this. So I get out there and, you know, John, you know, me and John Fields, he always laughing and talking and hitting. And he goes, okay, Calvin, you got a little booth just in his house. Go in there and, you know, he's, he's his thing, man. I got the track going, man. Here's the words. See if you can say this. I was okay, John. I'll go in there and try, you know, mess around. And both of them, they tell me now, behind my back, they're going, they're crossing their fingers like, she said, can he sing? John go, I don't know if he can sing or not. He just plays drums for me. So he put the track on, and you know, it was just some little kid song, you know. I gave my best, you know, do 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 do, hit my notes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm, humming stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I thought, yeah, because I thought I'll help John anyway. I help him out, no matter what it is. And they, I go to the door, and they were like, okay. Uh, John said, uh, can you double your line? I go, yeah, double my line, you know. So, meantime, they tracking me. You know, so for you this did, you thing. Did, you know. Yeah, I'm just tracking, they're tracking me for this thing I'm yeah. doing, you know. And I come out and John had to go somewhere and she said, she told me, she said, look, I'm I'm putting together this show. And she'd been doing it for like maybe a year or so and trying to get the show together. And the show is called The Nanas and the Papas. And uh and uh she got this idea because she also did like the Hootie Hootie Dooties. She did splash dance. She's the people she did behind these. And, uh, of course, John writing kids' songs for all these, all over. He got kids' songs everywhere. And for the Wiggles, he's like one of the Wiggles writers. Or he was back then, if he's doing them now or not. And so uh, she said, uh, uh, and, and the idea was to, uh, you know, because grandparents are like a big part of kids' lives. They, you know, matter of fact, nowadays they just about look after them because, mm. you know, it costs so much to live. And, you know, and daycares cost so much. So if they can be with their grandparents two or three days a week, daycares only two days a week. People are like bouncing. Grandparents are like, you know, and they, you know, they don't mind being silly. They like all the stuff. Grandparents, you know, mm. they got time. When your mother's dad's, they ain't got no more. They're they too busy trying to pay bills, worried about this, worried about that. Jump off the grandparents' house, you ain't got to worry. The grandparents. But, you know, even all around the world, there's no content on kids' TV yeah. with grandparents yeah. in relationship with the kids. Yeah. And this is what she did. And, and uh, yeah, she started this thing, and we were going to do a, 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 a thing with Canada. COVID stopped some stuff we are going to do o- yeah. overseas. Mm. Come back, and now we're on, we're on ABC Kids TV. Mm. Uh, we just did our first episode, which is just mainly like uh, 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 just like uh, – we couldn't get the budget we could to do to do like little short stories like we wanted to, mm-hmm. but we're doing like video clips of songs and singing and dancing with kids. 
And we just finished about 20 more clips. And in January, we, we'll be back out again on the, on ABC Kids TV at, at iView. Yep. And so with the nanas and the papas. Yeah. And there's, and there's five of us. All of us are like entertainers. You know, everybody, er, all of us, in the, there's five of us. All of us are entertainers. There's two, three girls and two guys. We're all entertainers and, and you know, we're in the music and do stuff. We're still active and doing stuff today. Most, most of us are. And, and, and she put this thing together called the Nanas and Papas. Uh, uh, we got a grandparents club. What we did during COVID. Uh, cause, uh, because they, I mean, they wouldn't let grandparents see their kids and stuff, thinking they might give them uh, grandkids, thinking they might give them cover because older folks, they thought older folks was dying, young folks wasn't at first. Yeah. And, and it was, so all these grandparents all of a sudden were separated from their grandkids, like, like instant coffee with COVID. Mm. So we started the grandparents club on Facebook and, uh, man, it took us about a couple of months. We got like, we got maybe 20, 25,000 followers. <laughs> Just on grand, I mean, awesome. a place where grandparents can go and talk to each other, communicate with each other, share photos, do stuff. When we post up things, we do giveaways, we do all kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and and that is when huge. Then off the back of that, now we're starting our Nana's and Papa's Facebook page. We got we only got about fifteen, seven, about seventeen hundred that one so far, but we'll eventually get those followers over there, and off the TV show we get that going, and we just and we just uh. And getting ready to start launching our YouTube channels. We just did a. I, I, I talk about this girl because this girl is phenomenal. Her name is Debbie Dew. Debbie Dew is this. You go, who's Debbie Dew? It's this young girl named Debbie Dew that got this YouTube channel show for, for kids. And she has like, I don't know, 22 million subscribers or something like some mound or something. You see one of her. One of, her, one of her songs, and you see like, you know, 100,000 people hit probably seeing it. Mm. You see like, like, who is this? And you Google it, and you go like, what? And then you find out, and you really find out, them and another one called uh, uh, Hit Patrol. Another one, Hit Patrol. Who are these people? These people are making millions, mm. millions a year on YouTube channels. Oh, yeah. Millions. But Debbie Do. Uh, saw us, and she wanted to do clever. We just collaborated with two, two things with her. Collaborate her because she don't have a TV show. We don't have you. We trying to build a YouTube channel. Mm. She got TV there, but she's not having any TV anyway. Yeah. We we just collaborated with two songs with her. That's cool. Two video clips with her. We just we just we just we just did recently, and we shot a uh, uh, a bunch of content like a nursery rhymes for our thing, and we just did about sixteen or seventeen new clips for ABC. I just I just finished that. So the nanas and the papas, watch out! We do, <laughs> here we, we got here we come. We got live <laughs> we got live shows that we got coming That's up. You're ready to come up pretty soon for the kids and we're like we're like we're like, we're like the new kids on the block. But we're the old <laughs> we're like the old folks. We're like the new kids on the block. Yeah. And yeah, the nanas and the papas, man. I, I you know it's 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 just phenomenal what she's done and how she how, how Marie Kirkland Marie and uh and Lindy another another one's two ladies. They have put this together, and we got choreographers, we got um, we got writers, we got script writers, we mm. got. I mean, it's a it's a it's a production team behind us, that's, that that believe in what the show and what they're doing, and 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 they do. They put their money where their mouth is. Mm. It's not nobody just saying it; they're doing it. You know, and yeah, man, we're having a fantastic. It's been a fantastic ride. I just finished shooting shows and 
kids, man, for like, man, you go a whole week with kids and you're doing about five or six video clips a day. Man. <laughs> I mean, every 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 new every clip is a different, fresh, fresh yeah. set of kids. Yeah, yeah. And here you are. You got to be like, okay, I'm ready again. Yeah, man, it wore us out. <laughs> that was so much fun with the kids. And, yeah. and and another thing about that that really that got me was you know, kids coming in like, and not like, oh, these old people or something. No, it was just to me, it just proved the fact that. They used to being around their uncles or their grandparents or somebody yeah. like this anyway. Yeah. It wasn't like they were dancing and singing with some old people. Yeah. They were dancing and singing with just having fun with, with you know, with I don't know, but with just people. Yeah. They they didn't separate they didn't separate us or make us any younger or older than they were. We're all the same doing this kid stuff, man. It's it, it's yeah, man. Really, really fun. Really good show and. And yeah, if it, if it really goes good next few years, you know, I probably won't be able to retire, but I might even buy, <laughs> I might even buy a bicycle. Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> buy a new drum kit. Your scooter. Yeah, a scooter. Yeah, I might even yeah, buy yeah. a scooter for me <laughs> if, 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 if it goes good. Yeah. But no, that's the Nanas and Papas, man. And, and right. yeah, ABC, look for us around January, ABC, uh, on, on, on Kids TV or, or even iView, ABC iView. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah, put links. Links to that as well. Yeah, man. Thanks for asking, man. Because yeah. Nana's and the Papas, man. I can say a lot about that, that. But yeah, that's how it started. That's how I got involved. Yeah. And uh, you were all our our, our 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 entertainers, and now we got a show together yeah. called the Nana's and the Papas. Great. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Kelvin Welch, this has been great, man. Um, what's been extra good is that I haven't had to say much, which is awesome, because you did all the talking. Oh man, which is great because it's, it's not about me; it's about you. <laughs> I didn't know what to. I mean, stories and stories, man. Oh, I mean, you, know, you tell stories for days and days. Stories, and, stories for days and days. But yeah, yeah, man. I told you, I, I started as a young, as a young kid playing. Yeah. I'm self-taught. Taught myself how to play. Yep. As far as music and drums and and and, and being a sponge. Yeah. To music and and I learned so much. Even today, I uh, I, I got this jazz gig. I do. I'm doing. I'm lucky through COVID. I got. I ended up getting this jazz gig at a place yeah. called Restaurant Uberts. I do four days a week. Mm-hmm. I bring cats in to play with me, and uh, we don't rehearse. You know, we come in, we play jazz and mm-hmm. play stuff that go. So, so what we doing to go? Swain, Kelvin, thank you. Sabasa, Kelvin, thank you. It's a give me a twelve eight feel. Food, thank you. And as soon as they kick in, I give two notes and I know the song. From my days of learning so much yeah. music and just being involved and being a sponge. Yeah. I don't have to have a chart in front of me reading this music. I'm not saying nothing wrong with reading or anything because I think, especially nowadays, they should have to know how to read. But but I uh, I was fortunate enough to, to go through life without having to, mm. you know, I can write down stuff my charts to if I have to write out something yep. for myself. But I'm not a reader like that. I yep. just I, I've learned to use my ears, and I can hear everything on stage. You know, I can hear. So music has been my life for man since kindergarten, since before kindergarten. I can just remember wanting to be a musician. Yeah. And now I end up being one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and thank you, Steve. Man, you Sweet come out. You drove all the way to Merrickville. Oh, it's not fast. But yeah, not all good, Kelv. Oh, thanks, Steve. And, and I hope I, I hope I, I just hope I answer some things for you. No, man. no, no. It's, just, it's it's all about your story, man. And, I don't and know what else. I mean, pe- you know. People will dig it. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas and um, Merry Christmas to you too, brother. Yeah, we'll catch up soon. Next and your family, you know the whole yeah, family, man. You too. You too. Yeah, hopefully catch up with you again. I see the podcast, but hopefully catch up with you just for. You know, man, maybe a gig or something. You That'd gotta, be cool. you gotta start back, man. When you gonna start back playing again? <laughs> yeah, it's coming. The kids, it's com- the kids, it's, it's the kids don't kids stay babies up. forever. Yeah, no, they won't. Then I'll be out there. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> get back out there, man. You know something? Just for the fun of it. That's it. Just for the fun. You ain't got to do nothing. Just yeah. for the fun of it, man. Yeah, I'll come. You know, when you're James. musicians and you do this and you learn, you know, it's, it's a part of your life that that, yeah. that I think that, that you that you should enjoy and bring out. You shouldn't. Not not do it. That's right. For no other reason. You know, I run to people all the time. So I used to play guitar. I used to play piano. Oh, you got one? I used to play drums. You got a drum kit? No, I sold it. But I wish, well, get another one. Yeah. Set it up. Yeah. And every now and again, go beat it. And watch how good you feel. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. life. Life is too short. Life is short, man. That's it. And, uh, and uh, not to enjoy things that you really deep down love to do. And no one said you had to be a professional or you had to make a million dollars at it, it's just something you love to do. And, you know, at a party, at a, at a, at a, at a you know, to hang out with your mates, y'all can invite, yeah, invite them over. Let's have a blow, man. You know, have buy a few beers and play some music and play some songs and, you know, invite some people over and party and just sing and act crazy and then we finish for the night and we can do it again in seven, eight, six more months. And you feel good about that night. You talk, you'll talk about that night yeah. for the whole six months. I'm just saying, you know, that's how I am about music. I mean, yeah, I end up being in professionals, professional, me. <laughs> I think me professional, that's what I think now. Yeah. You know, I never thought I was going to be a professional drummer, as they call it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, do it. If it's in you, bring it out, man, yeah. because life is too short. And not only that, it's energy. It's part of you. And, 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 and I like energy. I like, I, like, I like positive energy and being a positive person. I don't like negative. There's no reason to be negative because it's everybody, we're all here for the same reason. We're all, we're, I believe in community. I told you my father's being community. So when you talk about being a community and people being together and people, you know, sharing and doing things together, I believe in that because my father was, I come from that. Yeah. So there's no reason for us not to want to share and do things together. And, and I hate when I see, I, I hate that. I hate to see people negative and down about cr- stupid stuff. Yeah. Cause, you know, life, life, life is made to enjoy, and it may not be everything we want it to be. But then again, I don't care. Who said it had to be? You know, I don't care about the conspiracy theories and all that kind of old crazy stuff. Come oh, on, not, it has nothing to do with living in life. <laughs> Keep all that. Yeah, and just wake up every day and 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 you go out and don't let nobody spoil your day. I swear, you have a good life. Yeah, man, I, I I believe that, and that's how I live my life. And really, I have good days every day. Awesome. Every day, man. Beautiful. Every day, man, I have a good day. I have no bad days. Beautiful. I can't think. I can't even think of the last time I had a bad day. <laughs> really, can't yeah. think of it. Don't conjure one up. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right, Kelvin. Beautiful, okay. bro. Okay, brother. See you too. Yeah, later, man. All right, love you, Steve. See you, you too, bro. All right. See you.